So on this episode of the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, we've got Mr. Sim Pinton joining us again. And we're going to talk about SEC football. We're going to talk about Auburn, Alabama, the Iron Bowl, which is coming up this weekend. And also, we're going to talk about Midnight Special, which is our feature film. So if you want to hear about football, you want to hear about film intricacies, keep on listening. Let's go. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, the movie review show that's spreading its hot take tentacles all the way from the West Coast, all the way to the East Coast. As always, I'm Matthew Scott, and I'm joined by my good friends, Mr. Preston Pokey Barnes out in Oakland, California. How you doing, Preston? Right on, fellas. Doing well. And moving our way to the East, we got Mr. Joe Ray Fine in New Orleans. How you doing, Joe? Swad, gentlemen. How are you? And we got Mr. Budge, the Hitman Husky in Washington, D.C. What you doing, Budge? Feeling dangerous, lads. How are y'all? <laughs> and tonight we're joined by our special good friend, recurring guest, our first ever recurring guest, Mr. Sim Pitton in Auburn, Alabama. How you doing, Sim? I'm good. Uh, feels good to be the first recurring guest. I didn't realize that. So I know, I, We've already got a plaque made out for you. It's already engraved and everything. It's on the way to your front doorstep. Uh, tonight we're going to do... a Natty Light can, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe Natty Light can with a dick on top or something. <laughs> Technically, he's been in three episodes, but yeah. one of them was long lost. It's like yeah, the Stanley Cup. It's a hidden gem that will never, ever see the light of day, but that was my fault because I didn't press record on it. But uh, yeah, so Sim is technically not, he's the first recurring guest to be recorded three times, whatever. I really don't know how to say it. But anyways, tonight we're going to do the movie Midnight Special directed by Jeff Nichols. Uh, but before we do that, before we get into that, we're always going to encourage every single one of our listeners, if you haven't gone and rated our show on iTunes, please go and do that. Give us five stars. Tell us how you feel about the show. It helps us so much gain new new subscribers and grow. Um, and before we get into Midnight Special, we always like to do our marquee picks. And this this episode is a little bit special because we're recording this. We're all big Auburn, Alabama fans. If you've been listening to the show, every single one of us are huge fans. we got Sim, though, joining us because he's a special big Auburn fan as well. So in honor of the Iron Bowl being played this weekend, we're going to do our favorite Auburn and Alabama players and coaches and try to relate them, relate them to our favorite movie characters as well. So we're going to kick it off. We're going to let Sim go first. He's going to do uh, Bama fans because he's an Auburn fan. And then our uh, current Bama fans are going to do Auburn coaches as well. So uh, go ahead, Sim. All right. So first off, uh, as an Auburn fan, I couldn't give any credit to any Alabama players or coaches, right? So these are all going to be pretty negative in my life. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you all remember about 13 years ago, there's an Alabama coach. Uh, basketball coach, Alabama's playing on national television. And the Alabama, it was an assistant coach. <laughs> he got caught uh, on national TV eating a booger. And, you know, BAMs always talk about Auburn fans as being bugs. But the fact of the matter is, y'all got caught on national TV eating a booger. So I don't know the coach's name. I tried to find out his name, <laughs> couldn't find it out. But anyway, I'm going with. Uh, the 2007 assistant basketball coach as a uh, booger from Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> well, so if he was, I was most likely under Godfrey, and the only assistant coach I can remember in Godfrey was that coach who used to coach at Kentucky, I think. No, uh, it was Philip Pearson. Pretty sure. All right, I'm looking that so up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's never been an admission of guilt. He, he might have been a graduate assistant. I don't know if he was, I don't know if it was Philip Pearson. And the thing is, so we were talking about this before the show. So 2007 was before SEC Network and everything was being filmed. So people might want to say Gus Malzahn's always picking his nose, which is true. But that's because every single game is filmed. This was in 2007. 
probably, you know, one of the biggest games of the year because it was on TV. Not every game was always on TV. So we can almost logically assume that if he's doing it during the biggest game and he knows the camera's on, he was doing it in other games when he knew the camera was not on, if, if I want to just add to the point. Yeah, and who knows yeah. what he's doing in private. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guys, do y'all think, so, think that was a uh, Jefferson Pilot Lincoln Financial game with the three Daves? Dave O'Brien or Dave Neal? Dave, Dave Neal. Yeah. Dave O'Brien. Was Dave Cash one of them? Too? I can't, I can't remember. There were three fucking Daves. No, well, one of them was Buzz. That <laughs> <laughs> they kind of had enough of it there at the tail end of the JP uh, game, and he was like, "I'm going by Buzz." Like, like we, can't, <laughs> we can't all go by Dave. Yeah, I think uh, animals of Bumblebee. I'm the three Dave. Yeah. I, more recently, I, I do remember being, uh, Steve uh, Steve Sarkeesian was 100 caught doing the same same thing up in the press box. Yeah, so a little bit more na- better known if you if you want to do that, Sam. Yeah, well, I know, but the thing is, he was only there for a year, and he's probably more well-known. Well, he's back now, yeah. He's the OC now. Well, okay, whatever. But Sam is really nostalgic about this one. <laughs> it yeah, was the I'm... original booger eating. Great. It's the OG. It was a, I feel like Sim was probably watching the game and had that Leonardo DiCaprio gif where he's like pointing at like the, the screen. Like, <laughs> I see it! I see it! <laughs> and that was before like the internet where like you could like screen grab everything and it's just been like locked in his memory ever since. It's been fascinating. <laughs> Every time Wilson says, what are the bugs up to? It's <laughs> on you. All right, go to your number two, Sam. Uh, number two is going to be Broadway Joe Namath as oh, the... So I've had a few Chardonnays. What of it? <laughs> <laughs> the hobo for Mr. Deeds. <laughs> he was uh, he was on my my list of the in the Hubie Halloween episode. Oh, was he? Oh, he was. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that, you know that. Um, what you, what you say, Jerry? I just want to kiss you, Susie. <laughs> uh, Monday Night Football oh. back in the day. Well, yeah. Has any like? Former Auburn player or former Auburn like associate embarrassed themselves so drunkenly on national TV before, and like you could probably say, "Oh, no one's as famous enough to do that." But that really was one of those moments where everyone was watching on Monday Night Football, and it was just so so incredibly awkward that he I, was I feel, incredibly buzzed. I mean, to, to be fair, I feel like Charles Barkley's DUI was pretty. Popular. Oh yeah, well, that's, <laughs> true. <laughs> that's true. That's <laughs> true. I miss. There's someone who's way more famous than Joe Namath. Than Charles Barkley. <laughs> Barkley, I mean, like he and I, Barkley admit, like he, I think he drinks under, like has drink under the table on NBA on TNT sometimes. Like I think they all kind of do. Oh, absolutely. It's probably why it's such a good show outside of even the basketball. I love when they're like they like sometimes they just make fun of like Charles's work ethic compared to like maybe Kenny's or something like that. They'll like show Kenny like writing notes and watching film in the film room, and Charles is like sitting there with a donut, and he's like literally like clearly has like dozed off asleep kind of thing. <laughs> Kenny's like watching the games, but I mean they don't pay really Charles to be an expert. They pay him just to make like cool, funny sound bites. So that's it. Really doesn't matter. Maybe yeah. that's just that's, he's almost well, paid I, to sort I, of be. I wonder what their revenue is based off of just like clips that are shown on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> all sorts of media platforms that aren't I, I have no idea but if they like really took control of it it'd probably be a lot more because every single time i watch one it's not some like licensed nba on in, in tnt or whatever clip i think a lot of people always post the funniest moments and whatever i don't know but i mean that is how they get big and how he goes viral and how like charles has become so big is because people just love to share his crazy inane comments it, he was hilarious <laughs> 
during the golf match with Tom Brady and uh, well, and uh, props where props are due. Yeah. Justin Thomas, them yeah. playing off each other was fantastic. Didn't well, didn't didn't Justin Thomas almost have some like kind of soundbite where he's caught on the mic calling like Charles a fat ass or something like that? Okay. But it wasn't like he didn't. I don't think he thought he was being like. I think it was like a hot mic. He's like, sure, fat ass. But like you could tell it like he meant it for Charles, but not to be heard by everyone. If that makes sense. Well, like I don't, I, I don't know that it was like any sort of like hiding it about it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd love to see you uh, dunk a basketball right now, you fat ass. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Probably awesome. made fun of his. Hey. Justin, that's bullying. I'm gonna have to get HR involved. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I bet they like have like some ridiculously creative wagers on the golf course. They both seem like super fun guys. Like Charles was probably like, like hundred grand that you get a three, but I get like an eight or something like that. Like it's just like something like stupid. Like the way they handicap their bets are probably some of the dumbest shit. But they just want to bet with each other and have fun. I mean, I really it's do the like the only way to make it fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to rein this back in real quick and ask Joseph if he remembers this, but one of my favorite games I ever watched at Alabama that involved a drunken escapade of Joe Namath was, uh, and it gets, this one doesn't get remembered because of the Susie Culver, but he ran the game ball out against Ole Miss one time and he was so drunk, he started running towards the Ole Miss sideline (laughs) and the staff out to turn him around. (laughs) Is there a video of this? Yeah, somewhere. That's a classic. You have one job, like one job <laughs> meme, and like he still couldn't do it. <laughs> he had one job the game ball. <laughs> uh, let's be clear. He Joe Namath is an international sex symbol. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's be clear. Joe Namath was an international. Oh yeah. Let, well, let's also be clear. We'd all be jealous and envious of the things that Joe I would, Namath has I would love to do. You. I would love yeah, you. but we. Hey, guess what? I've Let's got a podcast. He doesn't, so I get to make fun of him. Uh, Sim, go for your number one. Uh, no, yeah, number one um, is going to be Mike Price as uh, Councilman Dexart from Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I almost put a uh, put a Parks and Rec on here too. <laughs> uh, you know, we all the the, the freaking sex scandals that that rocked Alabama football back then were fantastic, and and no, none of them were better than. It's rolling, baby. Shout out to Artie's Angels. I mean, <laughs> wait, so, wait, so go ahead. What, what was like that sequence of events? Was it DuBose, Price, and then it went to Shula? Is yeah. That that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, no, wait. We were missing one. It was Franchoni as well in there. Yeah, there Dennis Franchoni there in were, there. Somewhere. There were about five coaches in a span of like six years. I think, and like a lot of people forget, pretty much after the '92 championship until about 2008, Bama football was largely like irrelevant. I mean, it was very bad. I think he had one good year under Debose. Yeah, and, a, uh, he had like a 10-win season under Shula. Had, just, there, had, was a, there was a Shula season where I, they pulled up an Auburn and maybe even gave him like an extension. And oh yeah, no, no, like did, uh, he got to like number one in the country or something, didn't he? Like. They, they went ten and zero, and then they lost their next two, and the, including the uh, the game where Brody got sacked like a million times. But it was one of those like super unconvincing ten and O's where it kind of like they had some like lucky happenstance. I, I don't remember. It was a it was a Notre Dame twenty twelve type of deal. Yeah, kind of thing. 
<laughs> but yeah, Mike Price has there, has he had any other sort of like weird scandals since he like you know obviously got famously he was at Utah, but I don't think I think he just kind of fell into obscurity there. Well, then he, well, he went to Utah, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. He's at Utah, and I don't think I think he had he was his teams were fine. I don't think they were ever like he was pretty old go off and have some long career after anyway. When he came to Alabama, obviously there was the uh, like credit card prostitute ex- escort incident or whatever. I, and I think it was just, he was just at the strip club, but on, he, the, on the university's credit card. Yeah. Right. I think, and people also saw him apparently, like he was always out kind of late, like at the bars drinking a lot. And stuff. <laughs> ah, an old Joey Freshwater situation. Yeah. It's, but I mean, like he rode Ryan Leaf's drug addicted ass to sort of the Bama job. And then he ruined that career jump, you know, because Ryan Leaf, I think, got him to like almost the Rose Bowl. That was like the first time Washington State maybe got to the Rose Bowl in a long time. And then Joe, he kind of fucked it up. Joe, what were you saying? You probably know more about that. I, I was saying that the the way he got caught was that he was using a university credit card at the strip club. Note to self, don't do that. <laughs> Note to self, no one's going to snitch on you except for your credit card. Well, uh, that's, su- that's <laughs> subject to a FOIA request. Yeah. That's how uh, oh, Bruce got caught at Ole Miss. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he use university credit card? He, I know he, he had, had like a university cell phone. Yeah, university yeah. cell phone. They could get the records to who he was calling, and then some lawyer in Arkansas just and they were the lawyer in Arkansas was representing uh, Houston Nut, and they were in litigation over paying his the rest of his buyout. And so he went and found what money they were spending money. So he FOIA requested all of the phone records for Hugh Freeze and found out that he was like con- they looked up the number. He just pulled up the numbers and called each number, found out Jesus. one was an escort service. And he had called it a bunch of times. That's the next coach at uh the right dude, Reverend Houston Nut bites back, maybe. Dude, next coach at South Carolina, Hugh Freeze. All right, Joe, we're gonna move on. We're gonna move Tennessee. on from the embarrassing Alabama, move on to embarrass Auburn with Joe's top three. I'll I'll go ahead and give, you know, like the Alabama fans perspective of Auburn a little bit. I, you know, before Wilson comes in, you know. <laughs> um, but Auburn is the but, it, but excuse me, budge. So as as for an Alabama fan, you know, Auburn is our biggest rival. And there's a little bit of a meme out there that, you know, a lot of the fans think that, you know, Alabama fans will like to troll Auburn and be like, well, you know, Tennessee is our biggest rival. You know, and that's bullshit. Okay, so let me clear that out of the air. If there's any school that we don't want to lose to, for me personally, it's LSU. But, you know, when we really think about it, it's Auburn. That being said, there are some cat. There's a cast of characters that have come out of the plains. And it was... <laughs> Hard to narrow down just three that who we could figure out, you know, what the hell was going on here. And the first one I'm gonna we we can discuss here is probably their greatest coach. And keep in mind, this dude has never won a national championship. So just to give you a state of the program over there on the plains, is <laughs> Fane Die. <laughs> this guy, coach of Auburn during the 80s, and he won two championships. Uh, and he reminds me the most of Fredo Corleone. From- oh my god! <laughs> and the reason why he does is he was always kind of the little brother, you know. He was always, you know, picked over. He coached under Brian at Alabama, never really got any credit there, and no one really thinks of him at Georgia. That's where he went to school, and you know, he kind of went to Auburn. And his claim to fame is that he brought the Auburn game back to Auburn. Okay, good deal, man. That's real. It's real, real big. And uh, so it's kind of, you know, he kind of the, the little guy on the block. And so let the family down and 
that kind of thing. So also that, a drunk. Also a drunk. <laughs> has although not publicly, has never been <laughs> asked of himself like some other Bama folks. Well, yeah, he didn't get caught up with the company credit card. He got caught with a recorder. No, well, <laughs> favorite Pat. Dyer. Oh yeah is about how his pants were found in Lake Martin, Alabama with the wallet still in the back pocket. That's how he was, it was identified. And it was like from the early seventies. And the real question is how did Pat get back from wherever he was on the lake without his pants? <laughs> he was an Olympic swimmer. A lot of people don't know that. All right. So my old boss uh, played under Pat Dye. Rest in peace, by the way. Okay. Yeah, R.I.P. R.I.P. I hope this is a story about Pat Dye's pants and the explanation for it, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be honest with you, I, I can't remember exactly the story, but it was something like, so whoever found the pants was like, oh my God, it had his, obviously his driver's license in it, in the wallet, in the, in the pants. And so they're like, oh my God, this is Pat Dye's pants. We got to return it. <laughs> so they somehow get in touch with the athletic department who gets in touch with Pat and he's like, you know, damn, I, I guess I got to go retrieve my pants. And so the story is whoever returns them to is like, you know, how, how'd you lose your pants? And he was like, well, if I had to tell you, I'd have to kill you. If I, if I told you I'd have to kill you type deal. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious it was an aqua dump gone bad. I think it's the most <laughs> logical situation. <laughs> Either that or he had met up with, with Mike Price from to real quick defend Mr. Die, who did just pass away from uh, COVID-19, he did win about, I think, five SEC championships, four or five, and most Auburn people like to claim 1983 as a national championship there. So the guy was a hell of a coach. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's give credit where credit's due here. He's, he's kind of an icon in the, uh, the state, if not South, I mean, certainly in Southeastern football, Southeastern conference football. So yeah, he's, he's definitely known uh, in Bama circles, I guess, about the missing pants situation rather than beating the pants off of Bama. I actually never knew that times. story. Yeah. I've actually never heard it. Either. That's a true story. Uh, it's, it's a true story. And I, I, I wish I knew what his, that, and it's just like Godfather 2 where Fredo loses his pants and then they have to return them to Michael and he gets all pissed at Fredo about it. Uh, and actually, uh, <laughs> that actually, like, that kind of adds to his his lore there. <laughs> no, yeah, actually, I, I like him Did more. Not that, that. I like him more that he went pantsless for uh, at least a few days at, at Lake Martin. Uh, go ahead, Joe. Go for your number two. Okay, so my number two, I'm going to invite Budge in for this one. Because- <laughs> I feel like he's going to have some 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 good thoughts, and it's the recent. Well, I guess not recent anymore, but the latest basketball hire for uh, the Auburn Tires, Mr. Bruce Pearl. He kind of reminds me of Jordan Belfort from the Wolf of, <laughs> and in the sense where you know, today Jordan Bell, he's not uh, you know a nine figure you know hundred millionaire anymore. He's coaching basketball at Auburn. So he, <laughs> as opposed to a more blue chip program. So instead of being like at, Alabama or like Kentucky, here we are. Missouri. I knew I was going to get fucking pissed off tonight. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it works in the sense, it works in the sense that Jordan Belfort, like I, he's a scam artist, which if you want to call Bruce Pearl that, whatever. But Jordan Belfort also never like worked at some blue chip, like firm or whatever. He kind of started his own and Bruce kind of did the same thing. Listen, he started, yeah. he started, this is actually pretty apt. Oh, yeah, well, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me continue. 
but no, like it's the same thing. Bruce started in D two, kind of like you know, got big, and then he and walked. then he got got in trouble. And it's the same thing with Jordan Belfort. That's, and now, like, and, instead of like, oh, he's just doing motivational speaking now, like Jordan Belfort, he's actually kind of, if you want to, well, I guess if, I guess what the joke is, is Joe's equivocating uh, motivational speaking to coaching at Auburn. But I mean, that's, I guess, what Joe's kind of getting I will, at. I'll go a little further here and I'll say there's also a big part of Jordan Belfort that also that stinks to Bruce Pearl is that they're both hated by other people in the industry. <laughs> uh, Jordan Belfort was hated by like Goldman Sachs, hated by the ones, and Bruce Pearl's hated by about every. Uh, and I mean, they're, I ba- they're, they're both hype artists. They're huge hype artists. If, <laughs> well, if, if we're just going by Wolf of Wall Street, Bruce Pearl worked for ESPN before he came to Auburn, and and to my recollection, was was very well received there, and. Um, we well, if you actually if you actually want to know this too, he, before he went to ESPN because he was kind of toxic after that show clause or whatever, he actually was working at a Knoxville uh, financial advising company as a way to lure in big Knoxville donors. Uh, he was because you know he was still beloved by Tennessee fans, like he, oh, yeah. they thought he was wrongly done. So he was kind of just there. I don't know what type of license he had or whatever, but he was actually to to move this back towards Jordan Belfort or whatever. He was actually in that business before he kind of got into ESPN, just like Ron Zook was when he got fired from uh, Florida. He was working it, it, at a huge it, one in Gainesville. It's funny you say that, Matthew. So I remember reading the Auburn message boards when Bruce got hired and. There was a post from, you know, the the ball message boards or whatever, and, and one of the posts was, "I would rather get divorced than see Bruce Pearl back in the SEC." Oh, they they are they're obsessed with with BP for sure. They love that guy. Yeah, I do think that you're spot on. Yeah, no, I mean, like the ball fans still love him. They they blame the school for getting rid of him, and, and to whatever. I mean, obviously, Bruce. I, I think he's kind of shysty, but when he's on your side, you love it. And when he's not, you hate it. And so I fully admit my bias towards it. But I love Bruce Pearl. So just like if, if Jordan Belfort, I had invested with him, and he was making me tons of money. Obviously, I would hate it if I like the end result. But while it was happening, I'd be like, yeah, dude, fraud the shit out of people just to make sure I can cash out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but go ahead, Joe. We'll move on away from Bruce Pearl before either of us get into like that's, this fights later. That's Lord Bruce. Yeah, come <laughs> to New Orleans and fight you, Jerry. Yeah, go to number one. Well, well, just save all your ire for this last pick. <laughs> it makes your boys. I'm sure we know who it is. It's gonna be uh, the the chief scam artist of them all, Mr. Cam Newton. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> here we go. Here we, here we go. Alabama grievance hour. <laughs> And uh, as Mr. Derek Zoolander himself. And the reason why I'm going with Derek Zoolander is because Cam fancies himself as, you know, <laughs> intellectual fashion icon. And he <laughs> on the podium. He's got all this crazy shit on. Like, I saw he had on a fez last week <laughs> or after he beat uh, Buffalo. Uh, and he's always got on a weird hat and stuff and, like, glasses. And he'll, he'll always talk about pushing the pendulum forward and all this <laughs> Like, dude, what are you 
talking about. Love it. I love it. No, that's a uh, that's a fantastic pick. The only like discrepancy is that Cam Newton's obviously an Ambi Turner. He can sort of like twist and turn on things in all sorts of different ways. Derek Zoolander can't turn left. So if he was the quarterback, he'd kind of like <laughs> always have to he'd be he'd be doing naked bootlegs only to the right hand side. Yeah. I'll say this, Jerry, as an Auburn fan, diehard Auburn fan, <laughs> and you know, Cam Newton brought me the happiest year of my life. <laughs> but the shit that comes out of his mouth is it, it is just words. Like what the fuck <laughs> does he even say? <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things where like you you're sort of forced to defend him because he obviously he I think he is a nice guy and there's a lot of things he does behind the scenes that are and all, I think he's a players guy too. Yeah, top class uh, individual, team, whatever. But players he, he, love he, him. All the charitable things he Coach does. Loves him. Yeah, he, he, he like turned around education in Charlotte almost single handedly. You can't deny through, like, that, his, like, he uh, loves, but he foundation. can't deny he loves the spotlight. You can't deny he loves the attention. You can't deny that he sort of has that sort of narcissism about him. But again, you got to take sort of the good with the bad. He has definitely got like some attention problems, but he does do some good things behind the scene. He kind of reminds me of, if you guys remember this film, Bedazzled, of Brendan's <laughs> Frazier's basketball player kind of. I- I almost used that. Joe, I I almost used that for one of my picks. Yeah, just like a dumb athlete. Some people sound like really, really stupid when they're on the podium, whatever, but like coaches claim they're incredibly smart and intelligent, and you just have to sort of maybe take their word for it. Like Jameis Winston always sounded like an absolute dumbass, but like Jimbo Fisher was like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, it's straight A's, and he knows the playbook backwards and forwards. And it's, all, it's kind of the same thing with Cam Newton, where everyone's like, oh, dude, he's an idiot, and Malzahn runs an idiot system. But he actually adapted to the NFL pretty quickly, so I don't think he's like he a total be, idiot. Yeah, I, I, he's, I, also, he's also set an obscene amount of records in the yeah, NFL. I, I, I just think that's what like makes him so sort of like contentious among people is because there's like a lot of evidence on both sides of the story about Cam Newton in the sense like, do you think he's a narcissist attention whore? Or do you think he's a like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or do you think he's a really nice guy? Like you can sort of fight both ways. And that's why the, the debates kept on going forever between Auburn and Alabama fans. Um, all right. So we're moving on from Cam Newton. We're going to move to Preston's picks here now. Preston, go for it. You're uh, your three Bama players or coaches as movie characters. All right. Well, Joe went just like with just classic, you know, icons. <laughs> you know, I, I got I got a little uh, deeper into it here. So number three, um, this was a I, I think he was a strength coach or something at Alabama for years under Saban. Uh, possibly one of the most annoying human beings ever to live this earth. <laughs> Are we talking about current strength and conditioning coach at the University of Georgia? He is now at Georgia, which which makes I'm sorry, it, special, no, he's special teams special teams, he's special he's teams coach. Yeah, he got a, he got promoted, which yeah. makes him even worse now that he's with, <laughs> with uh, frat boy Kirby over there. Uh, so it is Scott Cochran and. You know, this actually, this is, I, I feel, I almost feel bad for this movie character because this is how bad Scott Cochran is. But I'm going with Steve Stifler from American Pie. <laughs> That's so, pretty good. That's pretty good. So Stifler, I, Stifler was, is incredibly annoying. No one likes him. So those, those, uh, that, those go hand in hand with, with, with Scott Cochran. Uh, but I think Sifo was at least funny at times and had some like likability to him. Not not often, but every once in a while. I don't think Scott Cochran has any of that. 
Hey, Scott uh, Wade and Scott Cochran sent to me roids to even get a, a fucking <laughs> Yeah. And uh, well, I can't the thing, like they put him in a fucking commercial with Nick Saban. It's just like, are you kidding me? This guy yeah, is yeah, such yeah, a yeah, yeah. That's the thing is like Scott Cochran and like uh I mean uh Stifler was like almost there, even though it was like he's the annoying friend, but like he still served a purpose. Like he was around like three other guys that really couldn't talk to girls that well. So they used Stifler as a way to like get girls around. They just sort of put up with his nonsense. It's almost like Scott Cochran only served one purpose. But was his nonsense worth the purpose of just making kids lift weights? And eventually, I think it was like, no, it's really, really not. Well, and to be <laughs> to be honest, I think one of the funniest things is Alabama historically under Scott Cochran goes into the season with a massive injury. Like, yeah, that's know, what people always say. Season. That's and true, guess yeah. what? We didn't have this year. You know, and he's not there, and he's not well, there. I'm not saying. I'm not pointing any fingers. Isn't I'm that the thing? Is like he he like he he's he's so like uh focused on maybe mass and muscle that like flexibility in terms of preventing injuries and stuff like that people got sick of them or what was this i think i think also you know, you're correct i think that there i don't know like and i can't i won't speak to science or the physical you know yeah. associated but what i will say to Preston's comparison is he's almost also got a little bit of the shermanator in him you know, <laughs> where sh- he's like he's got this whole per- image he puts forward like yeah. oh let's go yeah. COVID-19 is real I guess that was stars back then, where he, the state of Alabama paid him to encourage people to get vaccinated. Uh, he did a, he did a, H1N1 is real. I did not know that. Oh yeah, um, a deep cut Scott Cochran commercial. The PSA was the H1N1 flu commercial, where he's going, "It's not over." <laughs> like scream the flu shot, and you're like, "Okay, man, geez, like I'm going." He's like, <laughs> talk about former coach of the virus. <laughs> We just moved on from Bruce Pearl, who obviously has a, a, a kind of a hawkish attitude about him in terms of yelling and stuff, but he definitely has charisma. Talk about someone who couldn't transition into the financial field. Scott Cochran, I definitely, even though he's like popular within like the Alabama or was the fan base, I don't think any financial firm would ever touch him just because he just is such a fucking lunatic, it seems like. Yes, I, I mean, I, I, that's a totally random aside or whatever. Um, but go ahead, Preston, we'll move to your All number right. two. Okay, my number two um, is or was a five-star recruit back in 2001 when they were actually still doing this on Rivals. He was going to be – he was the, the new hope uh, at Alabama. He was going to turn things around. This guy had so much hype behind him. Everyone, you know, everybody, I feel like, and their brother was talking about this particular recruit. Um, and his name was Brody Croyle. <laughs> Brody Croyle, with all that hype, really didn't live up to anything and is most remembered for in the Auburn game. Uh, his senior year, I think, getting sacked, I think, 12 times, which has to be some kind of obscene record. Um, but the fact that he was supposed to do everything, was supposed to turn around the, 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 uh, the program and everything, he kind of reminds me of... Uncle Rico. of Rainbow City, Alabama. He, he reminds me of Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> uh, not only because similar hair, for one, yeah. but uh, Uncle Rico was known for always being like, you know, well, first off, he always would say he'd throw a football over that mountain, but he was always known for, you know, just living in his heyday, thinking like, you know, I was the best quarterback there was kind of deal. And and I don't know why that just makes me think, well, that's got to be Brody Kroll, who you know, never lived up to his incredible hype. Impressive. Will, 
we would have been on campus for Brody's time because I bet that I, I bet that he was the type of dude who thought his shit did not stink. <laughs> you can tell by that face. Well, in, the, uh, in fairness, I'm going to come to the defense of an Alabama player. Doesn't he like work with like his parents' charity that for like underprivileged kids or mentally challenged children or something Matthew, like that? We're not here to discuss <laughs> that. Or a movie star or whatever, you should do a lot of charitable work. I think yeah, he, I think he sells lumber. Oh, okay. And like and like I don't mean like at like Glows. I his, mean, like you know he works for Yellowwood. Big, big yeah. He works for Jimmy um, Ray. His, his <laughs> parents may or may not make an appearance on this list. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's like the yellow uh grimace or something. Um, <laughs> you know, the McDonald's character. Yeah. Or the ha- the uh, hamburger. Uh but no, I think his parents do some kind of charity foundation. That it, there is a connection there. Well, you know, but, uh, I honestly, like what when you said Brody Kroll, I kind of have like a Forrest Gump vibe. Oh, that's, that's good, yeah. <laughs> mm. I, I don't know. I might change. Let me think about that one. <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't know where Rainbow City, Alabama. I'm pretty sure it's the exact same place that Greenbow, Alabama. Exactly. Yes. And, uh, it is not. Well, I, and I actually do know where it is. It's near Gadsden. But at any rate, because Greenbow's on the water, right? No, Greenbow is Greenville. It's between Montgomery and Mobile, forty-five minutes south in Butler County. Well, for the purposes of this, uh, where the Bates Turkey House is. All right. Oh, God, Bates Turkey House. No free ads. <laughs> hey, I probably ate more recently than, than the rest of y'all. But that's I, not true. Joe and I had a Thanksgiving feast from Bates. Recently? Oh, man, I'm so hungry. Last Thanksgiving? I had it like a month ago. Uh, I'm talking on Friday. Jesus Christ. Will they deliver out to California? I bet they will. They'll fly you a bird. Yeah, they'll drive drive for you to your Thanksgiving dinner for sure. What did you say, Jay? I said, oh, they'll ship you one out there, buddy. I'm not giving myself a honey baked ham. Um, Yeah, so anyway, Bloody Crow, Uncle Rico. Definitely uh, some overlap there. All right. I'm pretty proud of number one. I think Bama fans are going to love this. Um, so this was right before, I think it was right before Saban took over. So, you know, this is still when Bama's going like 500 or, or around that every year, six and six, you know, five and seven here and there, whatnot. Um. And this guy was the interim coach for, I think, just the bowl game. He was a uh, famed, defense, <laughs> defensive, famed defensive coordinator. <laughs> Joe knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> he is most well known, most known for his incredible halftime interview. <laughs> I think it was the Independence Bowl uh, in Shreveport. And that is good old Joe Kynes, Georgia native. <laughs> And I've got him as a mixture between two characters because uh, I think this this sums him up perfectly. One is Farmer Fran from Waterboy. Uh, and the other one is Ollie Williams from Family Guy. And if you don't know who that is, Ollie Williams is like the weatherman that Tom Tucker will like, oh, let's, uh, how's it out there, Ollie? And Ollie will just be like, it's wet. Lots <laughs> out stuff. And I just feel like if you took both of those uh those characters just like their voice and even like their you know their their spirit you got joe kines what was what was the interview i mean like because they asked him something and he like i feel like he said something about dogs joe do you do you remember 
Yeah, the one of his clips during that it was Coach Kinds going into halftime, going into the locker room. You know, they stop him and they're asking, like, "Yeah, you know what's what's going on? What do you got to do to stop?" I think we were playing Colorado or something. He's like, "Oh well, we just got to stop that old inside trap." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got some inside trap. We got some inside trap. And then he says, "Hey, office, we're just spudding around. We're just spudding around." And, and it's like so grovelly and like I mean, it's it's. it's and it's and it's loud as fuck. I mean, he's like on level twelve. Now, Preston, I don't, you know, be if you said this, we'll edit it out. And uh, but and I might have missed it. But uh, when people when Nick Saban recently got the false positive for COVID and it looked like he wasn't going to be able to coach, uh, somebody pulled up the last coach who had taken the field as head coach for the, on the sideline for the University of Alabama was Joe Kahn. Right. Yeah, that's what uh, – and, and, and it threw me off because it's so true. That's what, that's what I said. I was like, I, I, think, it, I think it was – he was the interim right before Saban. Yeah. I, I, thought, well, I thought Wilson was like leading in towards, well, if Nick Saban couldn't coach, they were going to get Joe Kahn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Everyone's got COVID. That's like a shitty fucking movie plot. It's like, oh, everyone's got COVID. We got to get Joe Kahn's. The 80s, the 80s like, is Kahn's available? Yeah. He will die if he catches it. But yeah. yeah. But he loves Alabama so much, he's going to come coach the old Miss game. Yeah, Joe, yeah, Joe, what you got? I've got a, a, another great Coach Kahn's uh, story. <laughs> um I guess he needed like a couple years to get vested in the system in Alabama or something, but they kept him on like in the 2009 season. He was still on the athletic department. And I remember being, I was going to Coleman Coliseum to get my student tickets to the Rose Bowl for the Texas game. And none other than Coach Kynes is walking around all these kids being like, all right, everybody get your act cards out. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like you know, queue up. <laughs> it's like Al Bord just being on the Auburn payroll for like yeah. ten years after the fact, and he probably was like serving the lunch lines or some shit. He's like, really he's knows. rocking at Publix. What's his affiliation? I mean, I, I don't know how long he was there. Like, what's the deal with it? I think yeah. I think he had been on and off on the staff in various roles for probably. 20 years not 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 like back to back but like a different start so probably what joe's referencing is they were calculating it up and then if he had like one more year on the payroll he'd vest and be able to you know take the benefits out and the pension and so they kept i'm assuming that's what happened is they kept him around but i don't think he ever served whatever that that period he needed in a single at a single time yeah well even if they didn't even if they didn't keep around he could have like gone and coached high school at alabama Mm -hmm. and still like been on the alabama like you know retirement plan or whatever so So, that that, sorry go ahead i mean he probably ended up covering like his health insurance and stuff like that you know yeah he was uh, was something like hey he 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 was a loyal servant to the university let's give him something to do because he's kind of an old man and is pretty bored and doesn't want to go play golf or fish and he has his red staple yeah Yeah, so he he was at Alabama in '85 and '86 as a linebackers and coordinator coach, and then he was there in 2003 to 2006 as a DC as a defensive coordinator and then head coach. Oh, so. only six years or whatever. Um, all right, Budge, we're gonna move on to Budge's three picks. I imagine uh, you and uh, Joe Fine kind of colluded a little bit, so I imagine there might be a little yeah. overlap, but also a little what bit the of hell. Just, 
uh, <laughs> interplay between the two of you. So go ahead, Budge. Um, <laughs> I'll keep it. I'll keep it tight here. Uh, my number three is going to be uh, former national championship head coach at the Auburn University uh, Tigers, and that would be Gene Chizik. And Sweet. I think he'd make a rest. Who is the um, who I think he's closest to is Theon Greyjoy from uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones. In the sense that That's he at so one bad. point he had it all. He had it all. <laughs> he was in the running for it. He had nobody behind him. Nobody believed yeah. in him. Nobody trusted him. And he got it all taken away. Rock bottom. Didn't necessarily got emasculated. Didn't necessarily lose his dick literally. But ended up not ever coaching again. Maybe had a one stand as like a D coordinator, and then now as an analyst. I know. I think I think that's great. And then somehow I find him to be redeemable and likable as an analyst. I think that's great. You're you're so right in terms like he kind of like thought. Mm -hmm. If we don't even talk about maybe like achievements, we can just talk about the ego. Like there was this period where Theon Greyjoy thought he was the absolute (laughs) shit. If if Theon Greyjoy was a football coach, he would have written a book called How I Win, like Gene Chizik did, or whatever the fuck (laughs) it was called. And then his fall from grace was literally within one year, like basically one season. He went eight and five, like, then hired, and then went like three and. and you know what I mean? Like when, when Theon fell, like his dad wouldn't come get him. Like yeah. nobody would come get him. They yeah. threw him a bone. No, like yeah. as a D coordinator, and it didn't work out. Like his sister came, and he like stuck around. I guess. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know what the equivalent is of, is of, of Game of. What's the equivalent, like Game of Thrones equivalent of getting fired by Jay Jacobs? I don't know. That's something just really <laughs> embarrassing as well. I mean, like when you have to get Jay Jacobs to go. Oh man, you know you're gone. Uh, when no one has Sam. respect for him either. Sorry, Would Sam, you? go for it. I was yeah. going to say, I guess we're just going to have to wait for John and Chiswick to come bailing out. <laughs> in, fair, in fairness to Gene, though, not, like, he's a neighbor of mine when I lived in Auburn. Just, uh, they, all, they all live in Auburn. Yeah. But Gene has invested his money pretty well, apparently. He, like, owns a big chicken finger empire, is my okay. understanding. All right. So, oh, is there? Is, do you have something to say about that? Tell us, <laughs> tell us that. Love Gene. Yeah, uh, and the chicken fingers are great. Oh, okay, what's the yeah. chain that he owns? What's the chain that he owns? Louis. Okay, Louis chicken fingers. Now, I don't know where Louis came from. I don't know. I don't know anything about Louis. He didn't start it. Uh, he he's a buyer into the franchise. He's not an originator. Sure. I'm, yeah. I'm, Did I'm, not know this. Yeah. So it's 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 in Moore's Mill. Um. Fantastic little place area. It takes forever to get <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know, but he still lives. He lives on the tenth hole at Mooresville Golf Club. Um, oh wow! Oh, this, uh, you you make good. it sound like you're you're about to admit to doing something at the tenth hole at the Mooresville Golf Club. Uh, like you're like, yeah. oh, and I and I've taken I a dump in his it. pool, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, all right uh budge go for your number well, two let me well, real we... quick so does louis put guthrie's out of business another lee county state business staple guthrie's is struggling i'm worried about guthrie's okay. i don't know it's Ooh, guthrie's and tend to chick's still there but that guthrie's that was on university boulevard rather than pull in so is good. gone the the one yeah, that sort of was just a drive-through yeah yeah it's gone yeah um, and I, I, I love that that place, man. That makes me think of being a kid going up to games, eating at Guthrie's. Yeah, like everyone would get like a box. Or, I mean, like a, into it, but I think Guthrie's changed their business model where they're going to uh, gas stations and convenience stores now more. Oh, okay. Um, which is fine. I mean, the Chester's fried business model has worked pretty well, but 
Louis will not put it out of business, and I'm afraid that Louis will put itself out of business. <laughs> it's got it looks. I mean, by the minute, it's got kind of a. It feels like it's doing like a Nashville type of deal. I mean, because it's it it uh talks about catfish. They've got, um, all it's got meat and three. I had any. Looks things. pretty good. I might, edit, I might edit yeah. some of the Louis stuff out. I'm sorry. <laughs> but and I almost say that just because Isaac Cord just got drafted terribly by the fucking Cavaliers, which kind of pisses me off. Uh, Damn, he went higher than he went number five. Yeah. With Colin Sexton? He uh, I think he went to the Cavs is what I bet uh to. Yeah, that's right. He'll be with oh gosh, Hawks fans are gonna be pissed. Yeah, I know a lot of people the Hawks fans want him. Um <clears throat> all right. So uh I, I, I'm going to edit some of that shit up, and I'll edit this up, too. Because Hawks um, are number six. They're now, right? Hey, Maddie, just so you know, I live in Birmingham now. Oh, shit. I thought so. I was like, what the fuck was that? I That's thought, oh, I thought you were in Atlanta, uh, in Auburn. My bad. Excuse me. No, you can, you can leave it. Don't don't edit it. Or okay. Not, but just, just want my, you to know where, where I'm at, man. Okay. <laughs> All right. You want me to go? Yeah, go ahead. So we're going to move on to Budge's number two pick here. My number two um, will be current head football coach for the Auburn Tigers, uh, Gus Malzahn. And I will equate Gus Malzahn to one of Matthew's favorite shows. Not one of my favorites, but uh, it will be Michael Scott from The Office. (laughs) In the sense that he is kind of a bumbling idiot, but somehow through some strange bit of charm has managed to keep his job. You're right. There's like some network executives and writers that have sort of written the plot yeah. for Gus Malzahn to like sort of when you think he's literally Dunder Mifflin's going to yeah. get closed. And then in the last episode, it's like, nope, gotcha. Yeah. And then when it's the office, everyone's going, oh, yeah, it's going to continue. But when it's Auburn fans, everyone goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, it's called, it's called Dr. Dr. Stephen Lee. Yeah. That, uh, Number one person to blame there, but but you're that's like, a pretty good comparison. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, like Michael Scott is actually like charming, and, and like, I should say charming, but like you said, he's sort of like affable in his mistakes. When Gus Malzahn makes mistakes, he really almost like holds up in this almost like ghostly figure. I don't know if you've ever like watched some of his post game interviews when he's had like a terrible loss. He almost is like completely pale, and he can barely even talk. But, like, you know when he, like, beats the shit out of somebody, like Arkansas, he comes out with this, like, strutting confidence. Like, oh, yeah, we, we just want to run the ball, and we ran the ball, so we got the blah, blah, blah. But when he loses, he, he he's just – he doesn't know what to do. And maybe that actually is kind of like Michael Scott because Michael Scott is speechless in some shitty moments too, but whatever. It's it's really fun. I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, you're right, though. I, I, think, mean, he, it, I think he just <laughs> takes losing really badly. He just yeah. fucking, fucking hates it, which I guess is a good thing, but also Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know if he takes when we lose, which is more often than you know any Auburn fan would hope. And in Alabama, it's we get freaking dominated. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like cannot move the ball. He's supposed to be this offensive genius, and we cannot move the freaking ball. I I think my my observation with Gus is that like unless he's got that quarterback that can really run his system, that he's kind of stuck. I will. I will also. I will he, also, created a, he created a system that works in, in with certain players, and like, why for like two, three years he just went away from it, and like, like he, we had this is this pisses me off more than anything, is Lamar Jackson was like coming <laughs> to, coming to Auburn. I mean, it was a sure thing, and 
Malzahn like went away, like went away from that recruitment. And he like Lamar Jackson held out waiting to get like a call back essentially. And I can't remember who it was Malzahn went for. Whoever it was did not pan out. I know that. No, uh, was it, it was Tyler Queen. Tyler Queen, I think, was who we went for instead of Lamar. Maybe Jackson. Kyle Frazier or something. Uh, no, Ky- no, no, no. I think it was Tyler Queen, honestly. And uh, it was a favor to a, a, a head a head coach in Georgia that Gus was kind of doing. Like they were going to drop his scholarship or whatever, pursue someone else, but he didn't want to piss off sort of like the the network. So they kept Tyler Queen's scholarship and so hey, Tyler Queen had a hell of a. Um, career at West Alabama or West Georgia. University. He had a great A-Day game one time. He threw a bomb that was fantastic, but that's uh, really about it. But what were you about to say? I was, was going to go back. Who was the, remind me who was the coach when Russell Wilson was going, coming back, he was coming back from baseball. And he that had was one Gene. Year of eligibility. Oh, well, was Gene, Gene. Okay. And he was choosing between Wisconsin and Auburn. I couldn't yeah, remember. Yeah, that would have saved Gene's job. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah. but then again, God, we really he did know. not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was going to say this, just before we move on from Gus Malzahn, it's Michael Scott, is I think, I don't know if Bud's meant to put the nail on the head here, though, too, is one thing that Gus Malzahn's been criticized for, and rightfully so, is he hires people like Brett Lashley, Chip Lindsey, <laughs> people like that, that like don't really have any responsibility, but they're technically the number two. Those guys they're, are the, the Dwight Schrutes, right? They're, like the, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the assistant to the regional Michael Scott. I mean, like, that's 100% true. Like, he's got they're the same... They're all Malzahn like disciples. Well, Vince Bull- no, he, he has hired Chad Chad Morris, and we do. I guess we think that he is actually hands off on the offense because we'll, all- we'll, we'll see. But but he definitely loves his assistant to the regional managers. He definitely loves those little loyal compatriots that will sort of do anything for him, kind of thing. Where he has total control, but he sort of like kind of pretends that they have a little bit of power. Well, you know, Matthew, that's a great segue into my number one pick, a guy who is known for keeping his friends close and taking care of his barbecue boys, and that would be <laughs> former Auburn head coach, oh. and now U.S. Oh, senator. Oh God. Tommy. Tuberville. <laughs> and boys, do I have some choice words for this guy now. But, and my comparison might be a little deep cut, but I will say that if I have to equate him to any character in movies or TV, it would be to, uh, how do you, I got to go to my notes to correct, get the name correct, but he would be the president in um, Idiocracy. And his name was, <laughs> let's see if I can. Damn it. Out. Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Comanche. <laughs> and if you remember that movie, he, the president, he was just the biggest idiot on planet Earth. He was a former pro wrestler and porn star, played by Terry Crews. He also attempted to irrigate hey, America's crops with Gatorade. Uh, and I just think if it compares to Tommy <laughs> Tobel in the sense that he just is full of word salad, he has no comprehension of any policy. You know, whatsoever can't talk about this. Thinks that the three branches of American government, the House, the Senate, and the executive, uh, <laughs> thinks that America went to World War II to fight socialism. But I, I, I could just not reiterate. I went back and looked at who are some of the dumb. You know, I tried to figure out the most like the dumbest politicians I could find, and, <laughs> and, and this one came to mind. And you didn't go directly to Veep. You went. Yeah. You went directly to. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I was. I was trying to go. I, I, insults to Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I, I feel like there's someone out there, and I'm gonna think of it at some point because I, I don't know who the, who the fuck is. Oh man, name. It's from Parks and Rec. It's uh, Bobby. Well, that's what I was 
I was going to yeah. say that, that's what I was going to say, Bobby Newport. But I was trying to think Bobby Newport was kind of a failing upward guy, and I thought that was a little more effective to like maybe a Gene Chizik because like who kept losing, but well, yeah, and Gene, staying on. Gene's much more likable by a lot of like people love. And, and Bobby Newport, like, doesn't everyone like him in a way? And he's, like, super nice. Well, well, that's the thing. It's like when they have – when he and Leslie have the debate and Leslie, you know, goes into her own spiel, he, like, looks at her he's like, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah you're, you're doing great. No, he's super <laughs> friendly. That. Yeah, he's not, like, combative. He's just yeah. sort of super nice. And, he, uh, yeah, he just doesn't know what's going on. Tommy Tuberville is that sort of type of ignorance that sort of is dangerous where he knows enough, but he doesn't know, like he knows enough to be dangerous, but doesn't know enough to actually be adequate at his job kind of thing. He knows, he knows buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> what, Joe, what, what do you think? What do you think in terms of like that comparison? Uh, Tommy Tuberville is a shitty, shitty politician. I think it's pretty apt because <laughs> I, I like a politician who blames everybody else for their, for their performance. Tuberville loved to blame some officials for the yeah. <laughs> some game. Uh, he would get on officials. Well, he also lo- I mean, I think that's just a coaching staple in general is blaming somebody else for losses. But you're right in terms of Tuberville loved to go and like duck hunt during recruiting season and then blame somebody else for working hard for recruiting players kind of thing as well. Uh, not just officials, <sighs> but he's like, he's like, well, what, 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 what? You mean Alabama's not on probation anymore? <laughs> it's like, there's the the angle of you know like a politician who will say you know speak out of the both sides of their mouth type of thing, you know he told all the old Miss people the only way <laughs> yep. was in a pine box, uh, and we all saw how that ended up the next year. So that was on the Doug Jones commercial here in Alabama. He yeah. he did that at Cincinnati too. <laughs> uh, I know I know I, people in Cincinnati like despise Tommy Tuberville. Well, they should despise him in Texas Tech too. Even though I think actually they probably like him for leaving without like getting fired or whatever. But I mean, it's like every single person, every single fan base. You know, you kind of suck as a fan, like a coach. When Ole Miss fans hate him for the way he left, Auburn fans kind of hate him for like just kind of the shitty games he played and kind of like the lack of effort he gave in the last couple of years of his like tenure there. Oh yeah, Texas Tech. Texas Texas Tech fans hate him for like how shitty of a job he did, and Cincinnati fans hate him. So it's like. Every single job that he had as a head coach, people sort of left displeased. Well, um, I will, I, I will say, and I meant to say this for like, you know, like one thing about Gus Malzahn is he's pretty much the only coach who who can beat Saban on a, you know, somewhat normal basis. <laughs> and then, uh, obviously, Tubbs beat Alabama seven years or six years in a row. And um, it was seven. You know, it was six. And I, and obviously, and you know, two thousand four will go down as biggest travesties in college football oh, yeah. history in my opinion <laughs> that was but, uh, south, 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 south carolina i'm calling it now yeah i think that that's a that's a pretty good pretty good pick uh obviously. that would be but, absolutely so appropriate if he just ditched the senate seat and was know. like you know what it's, south carolina's paying me more money i gotta go <laughs> white bean soup recipe i want yeah i want the white barbecue sauce <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on to my picks real quick. I'm going to keep this like really brief, and then we'll get into Midnight Special. Uh, but this one could be a little bit contentious. I hope not. Uh, I'm not going to diss him too hard, but I know you guys, uh, Budge and Joe, both know this guy pretty, uh, maybe pretty well. But my number three is going to be Greg McElroy. 
Nice. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to get into it hard, but I'm just going to give him the Eddie Haskell from Leave It to Beaver, just because he always had the like the most punchable fucking face, and like he always seemed like like the little good boy that you knew he was doing something kind of shifty, but you couldn't prove it. Um, but, like yeah. he just always wanted to just like, oh my god, I, like for some reason I just disliked him more than I like disliked AJ McCarron. And I think a lot of people dislike AJ McCarron. Number two, I think we can all laugh at this person. I've got Butch Jones, who's the disgraced former Tennessee head coach, <laughs> now turns and like I almost wanted to do a Dwight Schrute thing here, but he's now turned special assistant to Nick Saban. Um, I was going to say Dwight, but I'm going to give him Gary from Veep, which I think is more sort of like he's oh, basically that's perfect. He's basically Nick Saban's bag man. I, well, like, there's been photos of him like washing Saban's car, right? And stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, he gets his coke <laughs> and stuff. You know what? I've always thought I always thought Butch Jones kind of looked like a sheriff's deputy in like Elmore <laughs> County. But like, but like the one that's like has no like. Well, I, I, dude, I literally have this. Like okay. I said, he probably gets Sa- like Saban's coffee, kind of like when Farva was on suspension in Super oh. Troopers. Like I almost get that. Like he's sort of like, ooh, got your coffee, guys. But then he like puts soap in the ones for everyone he's jealous of. Like all the other, me? all the other assistants like get like <laughs> soap in it, but Saban's is like perfect or some shit. Like he just seems like that Weasley fuck. Who I, like probably isn't? Who's probably there just to, like listen for shit for Saban know, and then like report I the snitching news? I think he Tennessee fan for like the first fifteen years of his life. Yeah, we can't forget you, that. You talk about oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot that Budge. Budge. Yeah, Budge grew up with that uh, Tennessee checkered wall. Tennessee orange. Listen, I'm not here to get docs tonight. All right. Manning <laughs> 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 didn't win the Heisman. Jay, what you got, Jay? So now I was going to say that uh, for people of a certain, for fans, Alabama fans at least, of a certain age, they're going to relate Butch Pearl to uh, Sergeant Vince Carter, Gomer Pyle, USMC. <laughs> uh, that's a Ooh. cut. Gomer Pyle is a Alabama native. That's right. Now it's going to. Dog Alabama's finest. Now I was hearing like. Also, probably the most prominent. Well, I take that back, but he's got to be one of the most well known homosexuals in the state of Alabama. Jesus Christ. Well, M neighbors. That's probably true. Uh, I don't have that list. That's a big, big deal. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, you, can't, you can't recall the top homosexuals off the top of your head, Joe? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a shifting list. <laughs> uh, I think you meant to say it was a shafting list. <laughs> Depending uh, on what you swing. You know, Matthew, I would like to, I kind of got to thinking, and just a quick drawback of Greg McElroy's Eddie Haskell. He also gets really, I think, unfairly maligned by the Alabama fan base for being like, for they think he's like a turncoat, like he he speaks ill of Alabama. But I I don't really think that's fair. But so you can make the argument, right? He's so shifty, like he's moving with the times, like it's popular to talk smack against about Alabama. Oh, so well, as an Auburn fan, I've got no problem with him as an ESPN commentator. I still think he kind of has that kind of edge, Eddie Haskell edge about him, but it's less less so as a commentator uh for espn mm-hmm. than it was for like uh alabama I know. And, and, and that's also just because of my bias but also just because like when you're 18 and like 22 and you're young and you're you're the head like you're the starting quarterback for alabama he probably was a little bit more cocky than he is now you know and now like he's probably a little bit more humble but when he was like he was giving interviews for all that stuff during that season and like he was kind of saying all that stuff he really was just kind of like oh, oh man I, I, he was kind of a pain in the ass to watch uh go ahead joe sorry <laughs> a smarmy prick 
Yeah, uh, I'm not going to say those words, but you other I know those you guys were kind of maybe in the same fraternity. Joe, were you in the same fraternity as him or uh yes. Uh, uh I was in SAE Alabama and I was going to say that that he was the first college football player that I've actually kind of played catch with and <laughs> didn't even have that grave an arm and that motherfucker could flick it. And yeah. it would be com- Greg Mack. Uh ask Jen. Yeah. <laughs> hey, his sister is hot. Huh? She looks nothing like she's like dark and brunette. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll add that to the deep cuts here. We'll probably post a picture on Instagram of Greg McElroy's sister just to get sort of people to like it and get engaged. With <laughs> uh, <laughs> find it on our fleet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're getting we're definitely running a lot on time here. So I'm going to move on to my number one. This is I'm actually kind of embarrassed for this because it's not very creative, but I like I couldn't think of anything better. But I'm going to go with Nick Saban because I feel like no one's actually said Nick Saban. Nick Saban as coach Jack Riley from the Mighty Ducks. Um, and that's, you know, the coach so nice. of the Hawks. The coach of the Hawks. Uh, but I think it's sort of like one of those things where it's, it's just too like for like in the sense that he's uh, he's like a lifetime coach, a full-time coach of peewee hockey, just like Nick Saban's like a full-time coach of like, uh, you know, like uh, un- underage kids, high school kids. Uh, the amount of respect and reverence coach Jack Riley gets in the greater Minneapolis area for being a peewee <laughs> hockey coach is fucking outrageous. <laughs> and just remember like when he like literally is able to like to shift the tide between like Gordon Bombay, like he has more sway at Gordon Bombay's law firm than Gordon Bombay actually has, <laughs> which is so, so <laughs> silly. And then uh, I was going to say, and I feel like coach Riley uh, the whole like almost angle, the whole thing about the movie is that like Coach Bombay was able to like do the recruiting rules against him. He's like, no, no, no. Banksy's on our side because of this like little type of technicality in the oh, zoning yeah. laws. But it, it, it just shows that like Coach Riley is definitely so acute to those sort of like recruiting rules and the zoning laws or whatever that he sort of has that Nick Saban thing where I imagine the peewee hockey, peewee hockey like sort of regulating society has probably had to slap some coach Jack Riley laws on him in terms of recruiting people outside of his zoning area. But yeah, like it's just one of those things where like, Hey, like he's kind of a scumbag, but his players are super disciplined. I bet when like people join the Hawks, they say it's a business decision, just like some recruits for Alabama because, Hey man, he's going to get us to the next level, right? He's going to get us scholarships to the uh, (laughs) whatever high schools, like prep schools and colleges or whatever. And so you got to respect his success, but he's also kind of just a dick bag. <laughs> well, you know, Nick Saban was an obvious choice. I'm surprised you went with that one. I honestly had to look that up. I, I was fully around. expecting it to be the Emperor from Star Wars. <laughs> I, I was, if, I was, I had some other ones. I was thinking, obviously, you said Lord Farquaad the other day, but uh, what's his face? Um, well, the Grinch. Maybe another one. <laughs> Dark helmet from Spaceballs. That would be pretty good, which is Rick Moranis walking around with a gigantic helmet. He's getting back into acting, I heard. Some commercial. After getting, after getting punched in the face, by well, up, the, up the, they, Rick, they caught the guy. Oh, that Rick was crazy. Moranis, Rick Moranis thing is like he got out of acting because his like wife died or something. So he wanted to like spend time with his kids and raise his kids in like a normal, normal home. And so now I guess his kids are growing up. So he might be starting to do movies again or something like that. So. Did not know that, that guy seems like one of like the nicest guys in the business. Oh, a hilarious <laughs> bit about that where he was like, 
You know, Bill, uh, New York's been having a hard time with the pandemic and everything. But then I saw that Rick Moranis got sucker punched in the park. <laughs> hey, <laughs> who roots against Rick Moranis though? Like that dude is—he's the man. Yeah, I don't think he was like rooting to get Rick, Rick Moranis. He's just making the joke. Is that yeah, New York's back to its wild and wily stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little stupid. Yeah, <laughs> that, that or like 2020, it's like so bad. Like Rick Moranis is getting sucker punched out in the streets. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, oh yeah, New York is back. We're you know just punching <laughs> random fucking celebrities instead of being holed up in our apartments for coronavirus. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so I went with uh, Coach Jack Riley from the Hawks. Uh, I'm a classic with Coach uh, Gordon Bombay and Emilio Estevez or whatever. And also, <laughs> if we if, if we want to just tie this together one last time before we move on to midnight special is that Jack Riley, like Coach Nick Saban, did get beat by sort of a, you know, you want to call him like a high school coach or whatever, Coach Bombay, with some like kind of shitty trick plays, like Gus Malzahn, the flying V, whatever type of thing. So he was susceptible to sort of people that think maybe a little bit outside the box, but normally aren't that great coaches in general. So, um, so how dare you say that about Gordon Bombay? Yeah, yeah. I, I, actually, I feel bad for Gordon Bombay that I'm comparing him to Gus Malzahn. That's disrespecting uh, Gordon Bombay. Um, for the deep cut here, I would like to say that I compensated this. I had to do this in honorable mention, but for Chris. Wait, what? We got a, we got a technical difficulty here. Yeah. Uh, just... we, we can't hear you in your volume. That we got really low. Try it again. Hear me now. No. Yeah. Yeah, I could just go for it, budge. Well, what I was saying is I, I was going to, my honorable mention, I was going to do Christy Malzahn, and I was going to do Judy from the Righteous Gemstones, and the fact that she's a crazy religious zealot who probably cost her significant other a job. Uh, <laughs> Much like Christy did to Malzahn to UNC. Great, oh, great man. show, by the way. Really good show. Wait, what's what's the backstory there? Like, Malzahn was going to UNC, but they didn't well, like Christy? He was on the short list, and it was like between him and Larry Fedora, and then Christy Malzahn went on some like evangelical show. Oh yeah, sounded like a crazy person. She and, is uh, insane. Yeah, uh, was like, "Nah, we're good." <laughs> what I just said, let's edit that out. But she is insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I, I I don't really know too much about Christy Malzahn, but I think she's probably gotten. I don't want to say the message because that sounds like someone being like a disciplinarian, but she's probably been told, "Hey." You know, maybe keep it to yourself a little bit more. For Christy Bowser seems like the type of lady who the Karen Boss music starts playing when she <laughs> on the street. Where she's like the mega Karen, who's like, <laughs> I, I got one. Christy Malzahn is the kind of girl that gives up anal because it's not technically losing her. <laughs> <laughs> she goes straight Mormon. You can put it in my butt. Uh, uh, well. Walker Jr. I mean, that's something, uh, hopefully this podcast gets big enough to where we can get Gus Malzahn on it, and then we can ask him that directly, and we can almost get Sim to call in and ask him for it. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> there's no, like, actual perfect segue to go from talking about Auburn and Alabama football than to discussing sort of an art house sci-fi movie, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Jeff Nichols' movie, Midnight Special. This was a Budge Husky pick. Bud's just going to talk about it, uh, but a film that definitely went under the radar a bit, but boasts, boasts, Budge. Some big names like Michael Shannon, Adam Driver, 
and Kirsten Dutz, but I know that Budge wants to sort of introduce us a little bit. So go ahead, Budge. Sure. Uh, just a quick edit. Can y'all hear me? Is this good? It sounds it could little, be louder. It sounds like a little low. Yeah. Is, that, is this? Hold on. Is this any of this better? Yeah. Pull the mic. Yeah, that sounds better. All right. Let's see if I can fix this. Is this better? Can you hear me? That sounds better. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I guess Matthew, I guess a, a good way to seg this is that uh, you know talking about Alabama Auburn is I think with Jeff Nichols being from Arkansas, this is uh, all of his movies, and particularly this one, all take place in SEC country. Uh, I think that Jeff Nichols is a Little Rock guy. I think what I, I've kind of been following his career since his first movie came out called Shotgun Stories with Michael Shannon. Uh, it was definitely indie art house. Uh, you know, the basis of it was when he heard the song Decoration Day by the drive-by truckers now what? Written, written though by jason isbel uh who's large in his own right so when that movie came out it's kind of about about a, a, a family feud um and so i that i saw that movie in tuscaloosa i think at the bama theater um and one of these like kind of the tuscaloosa film society but i i've kind of followed ever since he did another one take shelter midnight special is the one that came out in 2016 uh again like i said jeff nichols is kind of an interesting guy he, he grew up very similar to how we did, you know, uh, he grew up in Little Rock and was kind of a suburban household, but was only about one generation removed from like rural Arkansas. So, you know, he's kind of like what he writes about is like going back to the farm, visiting his grandparents and just kind of embracing sort of that life, that Southern life. And I think that, you know, uh, also of note, I didn't speaking to the drive by truckers. I don't know if y'all are friends, fans of the band Lucero. Um, who's a band out of Memphis, but his brother Ben Nichols is the front man for Lucero, which Lucero oh, is cool. another like indie kind of southern alt rock, alt country band from that era. Um, and they're also heavily featured in his movies. I think Lucero played at least one song on this uh track. Um, but one of the you know, and then and kind of back, I think that a lot of Jeff Nichols' themes are sort of you know, Southern, Southern Gothic to a degree. And one of the things I kind of like about this movie is that it, it takes place in the South and obviously deals with Southern characters, but it doesn't turn them into like hokey or like idiots or anything like that. I think it deals with like themes of like Southern honor. Uh, and then I think one of the bigger themes you see that you see in this too, is that people who make decision pa decisions out of like passion and uh, they may know that it's not going to end well and it normally yeah. does not, uh, but they do it anyway. And I think it's kind of interesting. And, and then I guess this this movie also, unlike his other ones, is still, I think, very Southern because it takes place in the South. And uh, one of the things he does, and I think in this movie is really well, too, is he subverts the genre. Like when you that's why I mentioned when we started when, we, when I picked this movie, I thought some of you should do no research, <laughs> just watch the movie blind, because I think one of the things that happens is you think it's going to be a movie about something completely different. Like when it starts out, you're like, okay, this guy kidnapped his kid. And then you're like, okay, you see the farm and the ranch and the church. And you think, okay, it's going to be kind of a, you know, we mentioned Waco earlier or like some sort of fundamentalist religion. And that's going to be the big, the big takeaway. And then it turns into something completely different. Uh, I think, and I think that's what I find pretty cool about it. I think the acting performances were strong. I think it's a classic Jeff Nichols film in the sense that there's not a lot of exposition. It requires the like viewer to sort of make logical leaps a lot kind of like some, you know, Jason Isbell drive-by trucker songs, you know, he, he makes you kind of get there. I, uh, you know, he gives you a little bit of information, a little bit of backstory, no exposition, but just through the, through the way people talk and the way people look, you kind of get the, the it tells a lot more to the story. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of leave it there because I have some other things I want to hit, but I want to get y'all's well, opinion well, on it. 
Well, this I will say this. This leads into a question I, I had my my first question, and sort of like leads into what you were talking about because uh, I kind of compared this a little bit to sort of No Country for the Old Men in terms of like you said, there's a lot, there's not very much exposition. There's a lot that you have to sort of follow, and sort of like there's not a lot of music. Everything's sort of very very dry and gritty, but at the same time, like you were talking about, Budge. This has some very, very specific tropes that are sort of um, familiar with the sci-fi genre. So it's kind of like the Mandalorian in the sense that you've got to like return something to where it belongs. It's kind of like E.T. and that you got to return someone to where it belongs. It's kind of like Super 8 where you got to return this sort of character to where they belong. So it sort of merges these two things like you were talking about this sort of Western sort of thing versus also this sci-fi element. I kind of wanted to ask you guys, did you think those things merged very well? Or do you think, the, what, what, which, which side did you think it sort of went towards? Do you think it more went towards sort of that gritty sort of noir Western vibe? Or do you think sort of like the, it went more towards the sci-fi vibe? Or like, which, which way do you think it sort of uh, felt the most to you? And did you think it actually sort of meshed well? Um, I mean, go go for, for it. For me, at least. Uh, as as a novice film critic, <laughs> uh, I was I mean, into it. I was texting Wilson dur- or Budge during the. Hold on, let's edit that. Okay. I was texting Budge during the movie and or <laughs> film, excuse me. Uh, I was texting Budge and and I said, you know, halfway through, I was like, man, yeah, it's pretty good. And then the whole sci-fi thing. Took over, and I kind of lost interest. If I did. <laughs> Which it's just not—it's not necessarily my cup of tea. I think I was like, you know, it, it obviously has a, a Waco vibe with 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 two of the folks. Well, where 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 specifically did it get too sci-fi for you? Like right when they like sort of got that safe house and like the dude was standing over his bed and like the beams were coming out of his head, or like where did it like what's the the opting point where you go? Oh man, this might not be a Sim Pinton film. I think at that point, like exactly, uh, and that it might even be like exactly halfway through, um, and it reminded me of uh, what's the movie where they uh, it's like the end of the world and they can't like the the demons like come out at, at light and the quiet place. Uh, a, no, it's not a quiet place. It's uh, damn it. What, when was it? Recent? Yeah, it's recent. It's got it's got freaking Machine Gun Kelly in it for a very brief minute. The Dirty? Uh, sorry. Think about that. Oh, we'll edit this. Yeah, yeah take this. We'll, we'll, till we get to the answer, I'll edit it. <laughs> what is, what's the daggum name of that freaking movie? Machine Gun Kelly. He's like in it the, briefly. The so almost... The Ole Miss quarterback? That's what I was saying, yeah. No, it's not that either. <laughs> it's the ones where, like, if you look... Oh, it's Bird Box. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, Sorry, right. it was like The Quiet Place, Netflix movie. Yeah, so so Bird Box is, is basically like a mix between Waco first half and then Bird Box second half, or at least where they start and they go over and the guy's, like, looking at the guy's eyes. But um, I don't know. For me personally, it's not necessarily my genre. Uh but I, I did think that the first half of the movie was I was like, man, this is this freaking has a very Waco vibe to it. And I'm interested to see what happens next. And then 
Well, that, that's a question I have a little bit later. But, Budge, what, what do you think in terms of did you think it? Obviously, this was a movie you picked, so I'm guessing I kind of know the answer to it. But, like, how did you think, like, the, so the sci-fi elements merged with sort of that gritty sort of Western realism that you were talking about previously? So, yeah, and, and I'd like to hit on the neo-Western genre later if we're sticking that to the wheel. Okay. But, uh, or at any point, just let me know when you want to talk about it. But uh, you're correct. Like, for me, this this checked a lot of my boxes, you know, it, uh, it, it's got that sort of like Southern Gothic, neo-Western gritty, almost like a seventies movie, just shoots you off and goes, but then it also mixes the sci-fi. But to me, it's kind of a light sci-fi, you know, it's, um, it's, it's almost like, uh, close encounters where you don't get a lot of detail on the sci-fi element. It just exists. The story I think is more about, uh, parents, trying to say kind of goodbye to their child and doing anything for their family, throwing it all to the wind and caution to go just to help their son. Like I said, you know, I think one of the big themes in Jeff Nichols movies are people who make decisions out of passion and love and they pay the price for those decisions. And I think you kind of saw this in that movie, you know, they, for whatever reason, they sat back and watched Sam Shepard, like take the kid. And they were like, that's enough. We've had enough. Um, But, you know, and like I said, I don't think the sci-fi element is the key to the story. You know, it's just to me, it's kind of like ancillary. It's a part of it. It just kind of to me, it's sort of intriguing. Like, I think the first time I watched it, I kind of thought like he's the kids reading the comic book in the back. And I thought it's going to be like a superhero origin story. And it wasn't yeah, it, like that either. You know, well, uh, uh, unless somebody really wants to answer that question, I think Budge is sort of moving to what I was getting at for the next question, though, is that like uh, this movie is like Budge was talking about. It's not really about two different elements. It really is about sort of like the relationship between the kid and his parents, but also it's more about the journey and the chase rather than maybe developing some of the backstory and the backstory is what Budge is talking about in terms of like where this sort of like supernatural element comes from. So what Bud, like what Budge is maybe getting at is it, there was like a big focus on this one sort of element in terms of like getting this child to where he belongs. But when you do that one big focus, you might sort of lose focus on some other sure. questions that maybe we have that we want answered. And so maybe what I'd ask everyone is, was there anything that was unresolved in this movie that you really, really wanted to like learn more about? Like Preston, was there something when you were watching this movie going, okay, I mean, I I understand the story, but I would really like to know more about this, this, or this, or Joe, like Preston, what do you think? For me, it's very simple. I would like to know more about the, like the, the other world he goes to. Yeah. I want to know about these light people. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think for me, like that's, I, I although I like I in a way though I love that like that touch that Nichols did because it it leaves you kind of wanting more, but at the same time it does there is, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like resolved, but there is like a bit of closure because you know like okay this 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 being is going back to his home. Alton is going back to like where he's from. Like that's good. You know, like almost almost like an ET vibe. Yeah, and uh, very Spielberg. And I, There's very I feel, Spielberg I feel, elements. And so, and, and that's what I was about to say. Like, okay. so it gave me, it gave me, uh, especially the end, uh, gave me more. Yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg, like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, ET vibes. Which, like, for me as as someone who grew up watching those films, I like, I love that so much because both of those films do such a good job mixing in, uh, like the naturalistic. Uh, theme of uh, uh, you know like it, it, it mixes it makes it seem real is, is basically what I'm saying like it makes yeah. something so otherworldly seem real and, and very much in like a 
uh, completely different filmmaker, completely different kind of movie, but similar as far as like signs, like you're, you're dealing with like a, uh, an alien movie, but it's very much not over the top or not grandiose. Like it's, it's naturalistic. It feels like, oh my God, is this, is this happening? Like a couple counties over right now. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head there, Preston. In the same way that, like, Budge and I were uh, mentioning that, uh, or at least I mentioned that it did it did have this sort of No Country for Old Men vibe, where there wasn't that much music. Everything was sort of just very raw and in the moment. The music sort of came when the aliens kind of became present or whatever at the end. But it did feel like they just wanted you sort of in that moment, so that gritty sort of very very real like kind of mo- they didn't blast everything louder make have like tons of special effects they wanted you to make this sort of really feel like a real moment between these like parents and their kid joe joe did what do you think was there sort of questions that when you had watching this like what did you think everything was resolved the way you want it to be or did you think there was some stuff that i i don't want to say it's like a i'm not saying it's a bad movie or whatever but sort of just a artistic what do you want to say like choice to sort of maybe leave things unresolved and hope that the audience understands them? Or did you think that there should have been things that they sort of should have explained a little bit better to make the movie more acceptable or palatable? Uh, you know, with, with sci-fi movies, I think Budge kind of hit on this when he was talking about whether or not you come into this movie with a carte blanche mindset where you know you don't have any kind of preconceived notions about where the film is going to go. You kind of think that <clears throat> it could go anywhere. And, in the first 15 minutes, you know, each, uh, uh, each domino of what you think is going to be kind of falls when, okay, you're going to think it's kind of like these crazy white people, Christian movie, but then they start chanting out <laughs> and you're like, Oh shit, like this is going to get really weird. And, and so, you know, I mean, I, they shoot the state trooper in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's the state trooper that yeah. shoots the state trooper. See that? And that's, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a good reveal. So it's, I, I kind of I, I'm along for the ride, and it, when I'm thinking about it uh, as each one of my preconceived notions are kind of being smashed, I'm like, well, I'm I, I can't, what I can't be surprised any more than I am now. So you know what I mean? It's it's kind of like that meme about 2020. It's like I wouldn't be surprised if you know, locusts started you know, <laughs> land at this point. So you, I really I really was I, I'm not left wanting to know more because you know the movie kind of made it seem like we weren't supposed to know more, you know, it's not our world, that kind of shit. Yeah. You know, I think, I think you're right. It's one of those questions, like you said, it's sort of an artistic choice between should we sort of like have more exposition that sort of explains sort of things, or should we sort of leave things sort of unresolved and let people like we're doing right now and discuss them. Right. Because that sort of makes it more fun. Um, But Budge, you wanted to sort of get into that sort of like Western noir kind of thing before I, I think I kind of would like to just I'll, I'll, I want to posit this kind of to Sim because this, this is sort of his criticism and inside the group. And then I'd like to kind of take it from there. I, and, I'll, and I'll just sort of preface it by saying I think that like Jeff Nichols movies. I don't know if you all saw Mud. I think that's probably his biggest movie, at least his most like uh, award winning with Matthew McConaughey. And it also takes place like in Arkansas, the Mississippi River. And it's that again, that kind of Southern Gothic neo-Western. But I think this genre is really kind of having a moment in the last like 10 years. I think you've seen that in movies like you mentioned, No Country for Old Men, The Coen Brothers. You mentioned you see it with Taylor Sheridan movies like Wind River, Sicario. Uh, He also did um, Hell or High Water, which has been reviewed on this podcast. Uh, He he also did uh, Yellowstone. 
But I think those guys, yeah. they kind of all know each other, and they're part of this new – I don't know what you – neo-Western is the best the term I've heard used, where it's like these sort of very real um, slices of Americana kind of th- thrillers, heists, you know, and each one's a little bit – you know, has its own a little bit different. Like I think It's, it's, it's kind of like – I don't want to say romanticizing, <laughs> but uh, the forgotten sort of people in some it, sense, it, right? Exactly, and that's what I like about them is it takes real people that, like you said, forgotten that like maybe in movies generally get portrayed as dumb, rednecks, yeah. or whatever, and it, and it portrays them as like real people who are, you know, good people and – or for whatever have flaws, and I think, and I, and I think that yeah, that's well, really complex people that, yeah, complex yeah. people that have very real emotions. Like I think, mm-hmm. like you said, well, so, or, excuse me, uh, that like usually in movies, these are people that sort of just get portrayed as stereotypes, and what they're doing is they're saying, no, these are people that actually have very real complex thoughts. This, they just think differently than you do. But uh, go ahead. I, and, I'm sorry. And so, I, and so I'll just no, and I'll, and I'll finish that because like when I also think about this genre, I also think about Dennis Villanueva if that's how you say his last name, who also did Sicario with Taylor Sheridan, who wrote it, was the director. He did like Blade Runner 2049 and he's doing Dune. So he does kind of have sci-fi, but it's that same, there's not a ton of exposition. They let a lot of the scenery and the action do the talking. And it's, and again, it's like a very noir vibe. And I think that when I see this movie, I think that's the extreme, right? That whole Blade Runner 2049. And then on the other hand, I think maybe like take Yellowstone is the extreme on the other end of the Western and I think this movie kind of falls in between because it has elements of the Southern Gothic Western storytelling, but also just a little slight sci-fi. But what I want to posit this to the group is asked in your, I thought it did a good job of just kind of mingling it all and sort of subverting that expectations. Did you think that perhaps, I think what I heard Sim was saying that it didn't do enough of either of each of those aspects to make it worth its time. Like it tried to do too many things and as a result, ultimately failed. It didn't excel at any one thing. It just did a lot of things good. Well, I guess there's a reason why uh, our encounters from third kind or whatever is three hours long. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe if they did uh, make, made it a longer film, they could have kind of, uh, you know, fleshed a lot of those different, genres out a little bit because it, i mean the more i think about it it does start off like a certain way and it ends completely differently yeah, um, but like i, I think in terms of like fleshing out the genres i was kind of fine with it i like i said though i think it would have been it would have been better if we actually sort of learned what some of those people's real intentions were i know that they sort of explained them but it was all within a sentence like that 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 trooper i guess his name it's not roy but, but the the trooper who sort of is long for the right Lucas, Lucas yeah. I mean his whole like motivations explained in like kind of one sentence like oh we used Wasn't to be that, best friends. I, I was confused on that the whole time. Yeah, like his his whole thing was like oh we used to be best friends. Then he showed up at my door I'm and he said I, I've got a problem. And it's kind of like well it, he it looked was, he looked just, into Alton's eyes. Yeah, again I, I'm just saying it's just it, again. But if you want to even like kind of go even further than that, what what's the what's the story behind Alton's eyes? And like you kind of really don't even get why that convinced him if that makes sense that could have been one extra sentence that sort of it could have explained two or three different elements of the movies but well, they kind of I, want to leave it ambiguous to be, to be fair on that i think that that's what happens when uh when adam driver's kind of deposing and that guy y'all said was is from um he's in boardwalk empire uh also starring michael shannon but yeah. also, i forget what else y'all said he, the guy who plays the fbi see, see. agent he, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of michael shannon i am yeah. too love him <laughs> But I think one of the cool, one of the cool, they describe that. He's asking, he's like in the depositions or interviews with the uh, members of the ranch, he's like, you know, describe what the eyes do. And they're like, it's more of a feeling. 
and it's a feeling of comfort. So they can't really articulate. Yeah. Eyes do, but they kind of tell you that. And so, well, 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 maybe man had to do it one more time. Do you, do you think that's like a a weird artistic choice that they chose to do it with some no name character rather than someone that you're actually invested in to like sort of give that sort of, uh, I'm really just, I guess I'm sort of nitpicking here, but maybe like if you actually sort of had a character that was, you were invested in sort of say something that was important, like instead of somebody that really was just sort of a throwaway line. I, I don't know, but then again, maybe I really am just sort of picking at straws here. But uh, President, no, what, fair. What, what did you think about like Budget's question or Joe? I'm sorry. I'll let Jerry take this one. <laughs> or what, what? I mean, what? What is well, it? Question, your, the your question, question was just. Exactly. Well, the question was more of: Did you think that like this movie tried to do too much, and as a result of that, it didn't. It, it tried oh, to yeah. do too many things good, and it, and then as, as a result, kind of failed at the ultimate goal. Uh, that would be uh, that was seemed to be the criticism I was hearing from Sim, and I'm just asking if y'all felt that way. Yeah, I, yeah, that's <laughs> you're much more articulate than me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it was, but uh, Joe Preston, what did you think? Did you think this this movie was like trying to be something it wasn't? It was trying to sort of combine two things that, like, sort of the question I asked, did like did it mesh well, or did it not? Like, did did you think it sort of did you think it was successful in sort of combining two maybe? genres that don't traditionally go together well i think that the way that he used the you know the light coming out of the kid's eyes and the power of the the next world or whatever is that that was juxtaposed against you know gritty americana and that kind of drives it home that that you know like the black and white nature of where this kid needs to go and i i, I kind of I kind of appreciated the way that they said that set it up. I don't think they were trying to do too much. I just think that it was a way to highlight the the power, like the kid's power. And, you know, there, and I was reading in the filming locations of the, the movie and this, the Chevron where the satellite comes down uh, is in reserve Louisiana. And that's just out in the middle of nowhere, like, you know, like in a champagne <laughs> field. And so like, you know, and you put that as a backdrop against, you know, some Harry Potter wizarding kid and, and <laughs> really, you know, drives it home that this guy's pretty powerful. And I I, I appreciated the way that they set it up, put it that way. Yeah, I, do. I, I was just going to say, Wilson, to your point about this whole like neo-Western thing that has become um, so popular. It's interesting for, for Southern folks to to have this like, it's like the whole world out there, West, Northeast, Midwest, it's not familiar with the Southeast. It's almost like they're infatuated with what goes on in Georgia, Louisiana, <laughs> call it the north, northern part of Florida, uh, Mississippi, because, I mean, you look at True Detective, how popular was that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, Very Southern Gothic. What's that? What? Just a very Southern Gothic. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting that it's it's almost like it's a, it is a whole new world to them out there. I, I would be curious to see how many of the people that have watched this movie have actually been to parts that it um, it took place in. Yeah, and, uh, you, you know, it feels like the old Ford truck is always is always a staple in it too. <laughs> I think I think that's a good point, Simba, because I, I mean. I, I think there has been an, a, an increasing infatuation with the Southeast um, 
as it pertains to not just film, but like music and, and, and obviously like a lot of great bands have been coming from, you know, Alabama and, and in particular recently. And a lot of them, what comes with them are, you know, a lot, like a lot of this Southern Gothic, whether it's like through music, through literature, through just the stories that have been told time and time again in the Southeast, you know, like there's a lot of like, kind of like creepy ghost voodoo like a lot of like a lot of cool st- as as is a part of the south's past um you know it's just even further and it's a complicated past it's a haunting past is a haunted past i mean there's a lot of bad stuff as we all know but i think from that comes a lot of artistic value that i think a lot of filmmakers have have caught on to recently and i, and I think that they want like they want to shoot down there i mean like, you know, Charleston has become such a little hot spot for a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, filmmakers and just, you know, obviously a lot of, you know, chefs and whatnot. But I mean, I think for a lot of these reasons, you know, there's just a lot of history and it feels like it's in the dirt, you know? Yeah. And so is it. Yeah. In Atlanta, I, I, I don't know how many movies are being shot in Atlanta, but it's a... Oh, it's, it's out of control. Well, yeah, I, I think just Southern stories have a lot of interesting backdrops and a lot of crazy characters in general in terms of like tapping into that sort of Southern mythology. But sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, I, I was uh, going to chime in and agree that I think the reason why a lot of other parts of the country are kind of infatuated with Southern culture is that it's it's very different from probably what they grew up in, especially in the Northeast or, you know, on the West Coast where it's very urban there are tons of people, you know, people are on top of everyone. You don't really have a lot of privacy or a lot of space and they don't know what it's like to be out in the woods by themselves or, you know what I mean? (laughs) don't know what it's like to drive two miles South of Montgomery and be in a, you know, but be completely alone and (laughs) kill many a turkeys two miles South of Montgomery. Or, or, Or just in the simple sense, drive two miles to get to, a, a grocery store because they're so used to just being able to walk to it or just like being able to do whatever like two miles is actually almost in some sense some of these people like almost i don't say an eternity but it, it, it it's it's the large 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 amount of space where you, you had that you had that in the midwest too but I, I but i think that it speaks even more to the uniqueness of the southeast i mean yeah like because most of america is rural well, get in their car and they go places. The, like, but, the, the mid, Midwest rule is different than South rule. It's it's totally different. It's very it's more. I would say it's more. It's 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 not as. You know, we're not from the Midwest, so I feel like we're probably <laughs> we might be upsetting some people. But I, I just feel like there's there is it is more cultural culture rich in the Southeast. Well, and and so older. Strictly speaking, in terms older, a lot older. Speaking in terms strictly in, in land, you can go like all these Midwestern towns. I'm speaking specifically of Ohio. So, uh, <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. Like people talk about, oh, my farm, my farm, my farm, and it's 20, 30, 40 acres. A farm down in Alabama is a small one is 500 acres, right? So, you. The, the ruralness is just completely different. You have a town, you have a gas station, you have uh, a large high school probably within any farm in Ohio. Whereas in Alabama, you know, 
talk about Coosa County. It's the least populated county in, in the state. And the whole county is, I don't know what the acreage is, but they have Central Coosa County High School, which is a, I think it's a 4A school, which I don't know what, what that results to, but uh, the just the ruralness is completely different. Yeah. I imagine there's something like, uh, I think this this takes place in like rural Texas, so I imagine there's some like similarities well, between well, some so of that stuff they're, too. They're going east on I-20. Mm -hmm. so yeah, and they, they wound up in Mobile. Yeah, well, yeah. that's where that's where Adam Driver's character he's out of the, he's working out of the FBI office in Mobile. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're perfect character for Adam Driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was so, that. So if we're uh, well, we could talk about this now. I kind of thought it interesting. Adam Driver and Jeff Nichols, I guess because they're both from Arkansas, have kind of hit it off. And Jeff Nichols' next project, Adam Driver's playing, is called Commandant Yankee, and he's playing an American who fought with Castro. And then had a falling out when he became, uh, when he became like a real big communist. So he then gets hired by the CIA in the Bay of Pigs. Anyway, you can add that out. I just think it seemed pretty, sounded pretty cool. <laughs> no, that sounds great. Um, all right. So do you guys want to like talk about the ending real quick before we move on to just a little bit more? Like, were you guys confused about the ending? Were you happy about the ending in terms of how everything resolved? And we finally got to see maybe sort of the the aliens or whatever. Uh, Wilson. Shit, uh, what did you think about the ending? Um, uh, I I liked it. I, I kind of thought I I thought it was cool because I didn't know what to expect. I remember when I when I first saw it, I was like, I don't really know where how this is going to end, and and I, and I think it kind of very much sort of showed you. And it's when we talk about like subverting the genre, where we're like, you know, you're you're watching this, and and you know, the church is treating him like a savior, and then and the U.S. government is treating him like a weapon. Yeah, you know, and all this family cares about is protecting him. And I think that like. And in that sense, like, I didn't know which way it was going to go. Like, was it going to lean more towards he was like a weapon? Because I remember the first time I watched it, I wasn't, you know, he's like, I'm going to be okay. Like, he very much could not, have, might not have been okay. <laughs> you know, like he could have died or like he could have blown up the world. But like, they were going to do what their child needed to do. Damn, damn the consequences. And I think that's when it ended. I was very satisfied. Like, Michael Shannon in jail. Lucas, you know, had shot the state trooper. He was a state trooper. You know, and he was in there being interviewed with them. And I just loved how Frankie was being with him. He's like, I don't know. Y'all saw it too. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> I don't know what you want me to tell you. I'm telling you like it is. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, obviously Kirsten Dunst, I thought like at the very end there when she's just looking at Alton as he goes, I thought that was pretty good acting considering she didn't say a word. But like I could just feel like her, how upset she was yet just knew it was the right decision. But I, I, I liked it. Not everybody, you know, I could see why some people didn't. I thought the acting was fine. Oh, the acting was superb. Yeah, but... Uh, that, me, like, that's what I like, really, you know, I thought was like one of the best parts of the film. But I guess I guess plot-wise, it pretty much resolved itself pretty perfectly, I guess. But uh, did anyone else have any sort of issues maybe with it? Joe, what did you think? Did you think, would you like to see maybe the FBI agents confront the aliens and maybe get sort of like shot down? Or what, what did you think there should have been more conflict? No, I think it was, the, I mean, they kind of, you know, it almost had like a Muhammad Jesus Christ kind of feel where he was like <laughs> to the, like his world. So, you know, he kind of tied it up nicely for me. I actually, I also liked how like the guys in the oil rig saw like the big future buildings or whatever, like the other world buildings. They were like, God damn, yeah. like in the Gulf, you know? <laughs> Dude, See, I, I, was, I would have liked if they went into the buildings and yeah. we kind of like got to check it out. Like what, like <laughs> yeah. what, are the, what are the toilets look like? Fudge <laughs> has literally like answered. 
Budge has literally like answered about three wheel questions, but here we go. We're going to go Sorry. into the wheel here. We're going to like wrap Not it up because we are, we've got, uh, we're sort of close on time here, but here we go. The number one wheel category is some of that sweet, sweet eye, eye contact, which we kind of got into. Number two, comic relief. Number three, give me some sex appeal. Number four, follow the aliens. Number five, all struck, scared, or horny. Six, I'll be your radio. Seven, whammy. Eight, let's make a deal. Or nine, take me to the river. And ten, respin. Here we go. We're going to do three of these just because we got don't have too much time here. All right, number two, comic relief. So I don't mean to say this in a cruel way, but this may have been one of the least funny movies I've ever watched. <laughs> Hardly any moments of levity besides Adam Driver's one sort of like joke about the handcuffs. So would you have ever, like, where would you have placed maybe some jokes? How would you have lightened it up a little bit? Budge, what do you think? How would you have maybe lightened it up just a little bit? Maybe a few jokes of comic relief because this was a bit of a heavy movie. Well, I think that it, what I would have done is I would have done two things. I think I would have used Alton as the kid to make some yeah. sort of like humorous, like kid observations or references. The right? goggles like kids, stuff could have been things. funny. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. And they didn't, and they didn't lean into it at all. Yeah. Uh, I also thought that like Lucas was a really good character. And I thought that he, cause somebody who wasn't in the church, like everybody involved in that church was so damn serious. Yeah. And he like, wasn't right. So I kind of thought he could like one of the, you know, he he's just, he almost gets there when he gives the kid the comic book and the guy's like, he's like, man, reading's reading. Like, you know, and he starts talking with Elton about Superman. He was like, what's yeah. kryptonite? Because, you know, the kid's been on like a religious, you know, plantation rant <laughs> for, his whole, for eight years. No, I don't say the kid has. The kid has never seen a comic. So God, when Lucas yeah. gives him the comic, he's like, what's God. kryptonite? And he's like, oh, that's what'll kill Superman. You know, like that could have been a funnier exchange. It was a good exchange. You know, does that make any sense in that in yeah, that way? Yeah. That I think you could have used that for some levity. Uh, what do you think? Anybody else have any ideas in terms of like how you could have maybe look, maybe just made it a little bit funnier because this movie was just so like maybe I don't want to say dark because it wasn't dark. It just was sort of just it was serious. It was serious. It's a thriller. I mean, it's a thriller. Yeah. What do you think, Joe? Do you, do you think yeah, like you could like probably spill in a joke? Use your use your sweet brain to spill in a joke here. Uh, they could have definitely done something with kids powers to like fuck something <laughs> in a funny way you know like somebody gets yeah. acted with a piece of a satellite or something it was like oh my god look out you know yeah <laughs> think, look out, man. yeah or they could have just like bought something at the gas station like a coke and the kids like i like cuts the coke off and it spills all over someone's like pain i mean just i mean that's so stupid and like whatever no, but I, just, it's like it could just it could just made like the whole situation a little bit lighter yeah, you're, you're basically saying, like, I mean, he's a young kid, even with these powers, he probably didn't have the greatest control over them. Like, they, yeah. you know, just zapping things left and right accidentally. And, you know, I, I will say, like, to what Budge was saying, I, I think if there had been some comedy or some comic relief, I think it would have come through uh, Luke, the character of Lucas. Because I thought, you know, him being, he's in such a unique, odd position. All of a sudden, you got your old friend and his son coming up to your house and being like, yo, Check out my son's eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that the was, world's about to change. Well, that yeah. was another idea I had is like, so they were old kind of friends. And so they're on sort of like almost a road trip. They could have had so like when the radio was put, that was maybe kind of funny when the kid was doing the Spanish thing, but they could have had some like old oh, yeah, song, <laughs> some like old song or something. And they like, like a little, any type of sing song type of thing is kind of funny just to lighten it up where everyone's singing some song they hear on the radio or something. 
I don't know. It's just like it, it. It just this movie was so almost. I was just looking for something to laugh at, and I really couldn't find it. Um. All right, we're gonna you know, move on. Hold on. You know, one of the things I laughed at just in this, it wasn't supposed to be funny. Was that '99 Azuzu Rodeo? <laughs> like just seeing that car just like took me back. I was like, I have not seen well, that car, Bert but Patterson. I used to see a million of them. <laughs> What's that? It's like Burns Patterson. Oh yeah. All right, we're going to move on to Give Me Some Sex Appeal. So this actually is a follow-up on the other question, so it's nice that it rebounded on it. Uh, so just like this wasn't funny, this may have been like the least sexy movie of all time as well. <laughs> uh, how would you have spiced things up, Sam? Like Kirsten Dunst was in this, but she looked so homely and so kind of maybe motherly. Would you have like added some maybe relationship stuff? Like this was a divorced couple kind of. Would you have sort of added some sexual attention to it? What would you have done? Well, yeah. Uh, I'm going to sex it up a little bit. <laughs> you still so, hey, You know, Kirsten Dunst since the Spider-Man days has really, you know, kind of done it for me. Um, Dunst it for you? What about the virgin suicides? Uh you, you got to think that there's going to be some rebound sex <laughs> in there when, when they get home to mama, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that would have spliced it up for me. Uh, and that's also, another, that's another element for comic relief. Like the, the, you know, the, the Roy and Kirsten Dunst get together and the little kids never maybe seen that. And he kind of walks in and like his eyes blow up or something like that. And then we're all laughing, you know, we're peeing our pants, but we're still a serious movie. <laughs> but you know, like whatever, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> and then I was just gonna say the the branch Davidians or whatever the hell you want to call the people that are <laughs> in the ranch. Uh, yeah. Ranch Davidians. <laughs> Preston, I was almost about to say that. Uh, so, like, obviously they're all wearing like the freaking pilgrim clothes. I don't know. <laughs> Does every every freaking cult in Texas have to be just anti-sex? Maybe we have a sex cult. Yeah, no, dude. They, they could add some like those are the ones out here, Sam. There could have been like an orgy in his office, literally in the opening scene. To be honest, because like I'm that's what it. happens in sort of cults. Like, oh my god, we're talking about trying to find this kid, but two women could have been making out, and do who knows? But they really could have. They could have jazzed. They could have jazzed this movie up, and maybe well, maybe. They don't even have to be making out. Like maybe on the bus ride when the buses are packed, women are sitting in other women's laps. <laughs> Just make it Dude, subtle. I like how know, Sims come up with like subtle ideas. Like it something. something. Yeah. Oh, give me they something look, to think about, man. Yeah. <laughs> they they look so funny too. Like the women, they look like a like Mormon fundamentalist you always see on TV, like Dateline and, and Expo. Yeah. But when they're like get up off the gym, like at, off the bleachers. The wooden bleachers and they're walking they're all wearing the really long dress with the white socks and the white new balances and like their hair and the ponytail i just start. i actually started laughing i was like they had white new balances on yes there's like a scene where they're all they walking all the shoes. women yeah they all the women had dad shoes they're all white and white socks <laughs> what do you think yeah. joe would you have sex this movie up a little bit or do you like it the way it was uh you definitely had some opportunities to sex it up i mean <laughs> Your death experiences? I thought that was prime time for sexy time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, like I think, like I said, uh, the 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 prime moment was we're reconnecting. One woman left the church. This guy's back. He brought the kid back. That's ultimate. Hey babe, I did what you wanted. Let's 
do this now oh. and nothing oh, happened. Yeah. I brought Whoa. your I brought your child back and I can't get nothing from it. There should have been something going on, like I said, and that could have answered the two previous questions. Like I said, the kid could have been like, oh, and done something really funny. Who knows? Anyways, we're going to do one more question, then we're going to rate the movie, and then we're going to close it out. Here we go. Follow the aliens. Um, Kirsten Dunst's character witnesses the whole event of her son joining the aliens. If you were in her shoes, would you have tried to join with them follow them or would you have just stayed and watched and waved as he went goodbye to summer camp joe what do you think would you if you had a kid joining aliens what do you think i know there's some bad like context here but what do you think would happen with you uh you know i'm just gonna have to let the kid go to the air <laughs> couldn't agree more peace out kid that's <laughs> a that's a no. risky. That's a risky play there you don't know what's gonna happen when they i, I guess you zoom you to the the new world you might, lose, I mean, you might lose your intestines or something. Yeah, if you're if you're kissing nuts, I guess you go whatever. I can get pregnant again, have another one. If I join, I might never ever come back. So it's basically maybe that's the hedge. But also, like you, you can't see these people, these white people. I mean, like, do you really want to be walking around with a bunch of like fluorescent lights? I guess I don't. But you might like you, you might think in the back of your brain if I walk through that sort of like shadow of death I might turn into them. What do you think, Budge? Would you have you walked into that sphere or would you just let it happen? Uh, I guess I, I, I probably would have handled it very differently from the get-go than Michael Shannon and Kirsten Dunst did. Like I felt like they gave way too much faith in the fact that the kid was going to be like I'm going to be fine. <laughs> you know, like you, he's like I think <laughs> I'm supposed to be with these people. Yeah, you're, like, I, you're fucking eight. You, know? <laughs> like, you could be wrong. Like, what if they're just trying to kidnap you and it's this big plot? Like, oh yeah, no. boy, and I just gave my kid away. Like, I'd be up there, like, all right, let's do my due diligence, guys. Let's tell me what's up. I need a little more detail on this before I hand over my kid. Well, that's yeah. sort of like one of those questions too. Like, where there's at one point he says the only thing I've ever believed in is Alton, and he's gone, and you're kind of like. The only thing you've ever believed in is like a seven-year-old kid. Like I understand. Well, your, your keep son. in mind he was like the savior on the ranch. Yeah, like, yeah. Like Pointed their, well, their also, religion. think about how big of a pain in the ass it would be to raise that kid. <laughs> <laughs> like the government and the church is coming after you all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just go, <laughs> just go. What do you say, Jay? <laughs> just free me from this burden of your fucking superpower. It's not like you're making me any money. Just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> or get me hot chicks. That's all get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, dude, I'm, I'm out. We're running out of gas driving you around every fucking state. Yeah, it's like maybe as a teenager, I could like monetize your shit, but it's not worth like the 10 years of waiting until I can do it. Goddamn <laughs> out. You think you'd at least get me a condo in Panama City Beach? <laughs> 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 all right so we'll move on to rating the movie and then we'll wrap this up so sim what'd you think out of 25 what would you give the acting for midnight special i'll give 21 for acting okay budge it's your movie yeah i give the uh acting a 23 i thought it was excellent all around uh i think adam driver was good i thought michael shannon just uh knocked it out of the park uh, I think he does in a lot of these movies. I really also was really impressed with um, Joel Edgerton's American accent, considering he's Australian, the guy who played Lucas. Yeah. I, you could have really told good. me that boy was born in East Texas and I would have believed you, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, I think, I and like I, I've said this before, I think Kirsten Dunst did a great job without saying anything. I think that last scene where Elton's leaving and she doesn't say a word, just the looks in her face, and you just kind of, you, I know exactly how she feels. Like if she doesn't say a word, I, I thought that's, I thought that was really good. What do you think, Joe? Out of twenty-five, how do you think the acting was? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna echo a lot of what Wilson said. Um, who was the, what, what was the the Australian guy's name? Was it Joel, Joel Edgerton? Joel Edgerton, yeah. Yeah, I mean. For him being a poor man's Jeremy Renner, uh, <laughs> I thought his American accent was fantastic. Um, it was not grading at all. So I'm going to give it a 23, Michael Jordan. <laughs> Preston? I also am going to give it a 23. Joel is a is a great actor and writer and uh, director. Um, and I thought, yeah, I thought his accent was really great. Michael Shannon, I mean, he's just one of the best actors around. He He can play like the most hated character you know, just the worst villains, and then he can come and do a, a role like this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Adam Driver, Speak, great actor. Speaking of Michael Shannon, I want to ask you all, have y'all ever, my favorite Michael Shannon video, it's a Funny or Die video. I don't know if y'all know what I'm referencing, but he reads the sorority letter <laughs> yeah. uh, about the girl who sends out the email to the rest of the sorority about not going to Sigma Nu. And yeah. boys, it's a treat. Yeah, it's very, very has become one of my favorite actors because of that. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I, he's he's one. He is probably my favorite American actor, like in right now, and I, and that's and that's a huge reason. Um, I'm gonna give it 24. Like I said, I thought Michael Shannon was great, and like it's just from that very first moment where I think he hits that southern accent kind of perfectly because I didn't get to this, but he sounds exactly like if you closed your eyes. And actually, Butch Husky and I have been on a car trip where we listened to this guy. Uh, do an audio book, but he sounds exactly like Coach Yost and remember the Titans. I can't remember the guy's name. Will Patton. Like, yeah, he sounds exactly like it, and it's actually, it's it's so perfect, Southern accent. So I'm giving him a 24. All right, so we're going to move on to characters. Sim, what do you think? Do you think the characters were great? Do you think they were well thought out? Do you think they were well expressed? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with very middle of the road here. I thought they were fine. Uh, 19. I do think what what took it down for me is just I just can't get past the sapphire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, Bugs, what do you think? Do you think uh, they're well developed? Yeah, I, I thought these characters were good. I, I, I think they're like maybe Alton wasn't fleshed out enough, but that's kind of the point. But I, I thought that uh I, that they were all kind of well rounded people. I thought they were really interesting too. Like and also, there are a lot of clues there to the characters that I saw on second watch. Like, take Joel Edgerton, Lucas's character. When he shoots that trooper, I was shocked the first time. But it, it on second, you know, you, you find out, like, not until, like, two-thirds of a later when Kirsten Dunst asks him, what do you do? He's like, I'm a state trooper. You're like, what? You know, <laughs> you shot one. But then you realize the way he acts, he alluded to it the whole time. Like, he when right when he shoots that trooper, he grab, gets on the on the CB and he's like, officer down spits out the code for it spits yeah. all the language out and gets back in and you, and you watch and him he, the way he's he done sprinkles every some crack on him too yeah uh crack on him yeah so what was your score what was your score i'll give it a tw- i'll give it that one a 23 too i think okay. uh, one of my i thought and i'd just be i'd be remiss if i just didn't say this last part but i thought one of the cooler kind of back to character development is like in subverting the genres when the guy who uh the Sam Shepard's character gets to go to try to kill or get Alton the older guy I don't remember what his name was maybe it was like uh like Leon or something 
and you know he asked him to go and you think this guy's like a hitman you're right or like some sort of cop in a previous life and they're parked outside the house of kirsten dunt's mom and he looks over and he goes you know i'm really just an electrician and then the guy goes well the lord asked us to do things that we aren't prepared to do you know we sometimes don't think we're prepared to do and you're like that just brought this character even more depth like right there yeah but what do you think joe out 25 uh how do i follow that analysis up i'm just going to give it a 22 (laughs) (laughs) not much more to say preston what do you think out 25 Uh, i'm also getting it a 22 i thought the characters were pretty good i i would have uh I, you know, I, I sometimes uh, acting and characters kind of go hand in hand for me. I just thought the acting was was just a little bit better. Um, would have liked a little bit more from Kirsten Dunst's character, although I do I do agree she did a lot with like saying very little. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it was good. Yeah, uh, like I said, solid. I think I think you're right though, Preston. Like when acting and characters go kind of hand to hand. I give the acting high quality. I, th- I think the characters weren't that well developed, so I can't really give it two high scores. I'm going to give it 19. I give the acting 24 because I, I think they did the best what they could work with. But I just think that there could have been a little bit more to how they had, you know, their backstory or whatever. All right, so we're going to move on to music. Sim, what do you think? There wasn't too much music, but maybe that was intentional. What do you think? Well, I I don't know what instrument it was, but I'm, I'm going to pretend like it was the bass. But <laughs> I don't know. Just when all the like the drama was going down, like the either oh the, yeah, hard guitar rips or whatever it was. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that it was it wasn't, it wasn't the bass. It was just Preston's mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got a cool twenty thousand for that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with the twenty on that. Okay. What do you think, Budge? Um, give me go next. Go to the next person. Okay, sorry, come Joe. Back, what do you think? Uh, just to bounce off what Sim was saying, I think it was serviceable. You know, it, it got you in the suspenseful mood. So I'm going to give it a standard, you know, 18. 18. What do you think, yeah. Or Budge, go for it. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I was going to say it, the, the one, I, this is going to be the lowest marks I give this. It's going to be 16. Uh, and, and the main reason for that is because in his other movies, you've had a lot of like Lucero, drive-by truckers, lots of like Southern all music that i really enjoy and you maybe heard like one lucero song on this uh and so you know in that sense that i kind of felt like this was again with a perfect movie for that kind of stuff and we didn't get it uh what do you think preston uh yeah i it does look like his brother ben nichols i think uh did have like uh some writing credits uh and lucero performed i think one or two songs um so he had a play in it but maybe it sounds like not as much as some of the other the budget uh, 16 million they may not have had enough money for the licensing for songs <laughs> Shit, maybe yeah well so speaking so, of just real quick do y'all know who's an executive producer on this movie is it spielberg steven mnuchin oh 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 the mnuch suicide isn't that, squad isn't that, odd? isn't that odd that's something um yeah so so big uh, wink with uh, those big glasses <laughs> holding clear cases of money yeah uh, I so yeah, I mean it was a very moody, like pulsating type of score, and it seems like they kind of wanted to focus more on just like a uh, a background sound kind of thing rather than just like rock and roll music, um, which I think makes sense with this movie. But you know, I'm with you. I would have liked a little, you know, with all the talk of Southern Gothic, would have liked a you know a cool band or two. Uh, but I'll give it twenty. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think it it fit the context, but like I was almost saying with the comedic stuff, it would have been nice to have just like one kind of song where they kind of just really related all to each other, just to kind of bring it all together. So I'm going to give it a 19. Um, we're going to finish it out with plot, and then we're going to wrap up the show. So plot wise, out of 25, Sim, what do you think that this movie's plot grip you and keep you till the end? Ah man, South <laughs> <Sci-fi> Sam. <laughs> That's what they call them, yeah. Yeah, that's what they call me down the road. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Roger's going to love it, but I, I'm giving it a 15. Oh, oh. Budge, breaking out the brass knuckles here. What do you think? You want uh, to slap some I, in the face? No, I, I <laughs> it's a lot of personal taste. Like, I give it, I give the plot a 20. It's, it's lower than what I gave the acting and the characters just because, you know, I, I personally would kind of like to see some stuff a little more fleshed out but at the same time i understand that that's kind of what they're going for like a lot of good sci-fi takes something that's like a nugget of truth and then like teases it out to the extreme and i think you you like you kind of saw that where the kid is born into like this kind of church and like it that makes sense that a kid who has these kind of weird powers is born in church gets turned into this sort of savior figure right like if he'd been born somewhere else like in an army family they might have turned him into a weapon i, I just think like anything that's got that like semblance of just slight bit of truth makes a good sci-fi and i think you see it in like et and stuff too and so i think it did a pretty good job with it so in that sense i get two with 20 uh what do you think what do you think joe out of 25 your plot score uh i'm gonna knock it a little bit because i thought they missed some opportunities to really hammer home you know the gravity of the situation uh, of the forces that they were running from i i think that to be kind of a suspense thriller sci-fi movie that you, they really didn't lay out the stakes at hand, you know, like this was the world was going to blow up or something that if this kid didn't make it to this date, that sort of thing. So in light of that, I'm going to give it a, a 19. Okay. Preston. Wrap it um, up. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I think there's still a little bit left to, to be desired <laughs> towards the end there. Um, even though I, I did think it was kind of, and I liked whether or not it was intentional, like paying homage to kind of like E.T. like uh, film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good. I enjoyed it. I'm just going to give it a, a 20. Okay. I'm going to give it around 20 as well. Um, like I said, out of it, 20. You, you try, yeah, at 20 out of 25, I, I really don't know. It's sometimes you have to like take these things within context and sort of think about them. And sort of a writing context as well. I, I you know, I, I thought it was it, it achieved its purpose, but there could have been a little bit more. Uh, but we're going to add a little bit more to this before we finish this out. Since this was the Iron Bowl special, I didn't tell all these people beforehand. We're going to give our score predictions for the Iron Bowl, and then we're going to wrap it up. So, um, Sim, your score prediction for the Iron Bowl. Go for it. What do we win? What? What do we win? Oh, I you can come I, back and pick a movie. Yeah, I guess I guess you win recognition. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, we don't actually have a pl- uh, prize on hand. Well, um, we, we can settle that later. All right, so I'm gonna give you two scores. I'm gonna give okay. you an optimistic score, which would be, uh, let's say, Iron Bowl always feels weird. I'm gonna say, um, thirty-four, thirty-one, Auburn. Okay. And then uh, 49 17 Alabama. 
<laughs> All right, Budge. Uh, you, re- you really had your bets there. Go ahead, Budge. What do you think? Uh, I- I'm going to predict it's a 42-10 Alabama victory. Damn. He's going all in Alabama. All right, Preston, what do you think? I'm the forever optimist. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really believing in my boy Kevin. Uh oh. Uh oh, do we lose him? We lost Preston. I think he was gonna say Kevin Steele. I think he was gonna say Kevin Steele. All right. Uh oh, Preston went bye bye here. All right, Joseph, or do we wait and edit this out? I guess we gotta wait because we don't want to like Preston like jump back in into Joe's. Whenever this is gonna come back in, yeah. The fact Preston's... that he's frozen and making me laugh like this could be like yeah. some performance art piece. This could be like the <laughs> ultimate score piece where he's like giving the best. Maybe all of a sudden starts moving, moves his head to the left. Is like I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Has, am I the only one that thinks he's been skipping all night? He has a little bit, yeah. Guys, y'all, y'all, y'all hear me? Fine. Yeah, no, everyone's fine. Yeah, I I don't know about me, but I feel like Joe's been going in and out, like some, like a slight bit of delay. I I think it's it's fine. No, I think it's I think it's been solid. Uh, Out of curiosity, though, did any of y'all just like struggle to finish this movie? No, I loved it. I watched it twice. I'm gonna piss real quick because Preston's out. I'm coming back. I thought I figured the reason I, I for for what it's worth, Sam. I was like, I don't think I was like I don't know how much Sim's gonna love this one, but I thought I was like, I think he'll appreciate like the the like Western swagger to it, like you know what I mean, like the whole it starts out he shoots that trooper and they got a bunch of guns and it yeah. takes place in like Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida. No, I, I appreciated that, and I appreciated the Iron Bowl thing. Yeah. Well, dude, that that's a one of our best bits. Like when that thing was going, I was like, Matthew kept being like tightened up. I'm like, this is gold, bro. Like we are firing off at all cylinders here. Like fuck the movie. Dude, <laughs> I do think I make this a podcast. Even better than the uh, the uh, fucking what was that terrible movie we reviewed the first time it didn't get reported? Eurovision. I would. <laughs> I think this one might be better. <laughs> all right, so Preston seems like he's back. All right, let's note where this come back in. Yeah, yeah. So nine, 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 nine o'clock. Here we go. Right. Two two minutes of delay from Preston, so you owe us two minutes of your time. Well, don't call All right. So do I need to go again? Yeah, yeah. You have to. You, All you right. Go. All right. So we're gonna go to Preston here with your pick for how the Iron Ball is gonna go out. Go ahead, Preston. What's All the score? Right. Yes, the forever optimist that I am. I'm really banking on my boy Kevin Steele and the O to keep clicking. Uh, so I'm going with 38-37. Let's go, Tigers. <laughs> Let's go. Joe, I think you're going to have a different score for us. What do you think? All right. I think this game is going to come down to Bonex. And <laughs> like A Tale of Two Cities, Bonex is a best of times and is a worst of times, whether or, not, <laughs> whether or not he's playing at home or on the road. And when he's on the road, he turns into blow dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and when that happens, it's not good. He's got like two interceptions and seven. I mean, you know, he's got two touchdown passes, seven interceptions. So when he comes into Brian Denny, 
I'm looking for Bama to be pissed off from last year. I think it's going to be around, you know, a 45-21, 45-18 games. Put me down 45-21. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'm not the optimist like Preston and Simar. I, I, I can't see this being a win. I, as much as I really, really want to, man, and I love Tank Bixby. First of all, Tank's big, Tank Bixby is probably the best player on the field for either team, if I'm going to be completely honest, he's uh, for every single player. Uh, but I think Bama's got the better coach. Uh, Matthew's going to go with 38-27 in the Alabama favor. I'm sorry that I'm going to have to go against Auburn Tigers. Um, all right, so we're going to move on. Well, that was our. I would like to request that we play whoever gets closest here. Sam gets to pick a movie outside of the turn. <laughs> and and sim if he wins gets to come back on whatever movie he wants uh sim gets to come back whenever he wants he just that's true sim, i'm just he, saying let's just send this us is, a message to you yeah whenever we don't have somebody else on sim can come back whenever he's always a featured guest welcome guest um so next next week what we're gonna do is we're moving on to joe fine's next pick joe what you got for us and then we'll close it out all right boys and i know it's late but Get ready next week for the thrill ride of a lifetime. It is <laughs> Irish version of Behind Enemy Lines. So get a Guinness, sit back, and get ready to be thrilled because Jack O'Connell's ready to get after it.